I've walked in the front door, right? And I could just see cops, right? In black, all this stuff. And they're like, turn around, to, right? So I had to turn my back to them. Like, put your hands like this. And then walk slowly towards us, but back the way. I grabbed my, my hands around the blade like this. Instead of grabbing them here. And then I grabbed them like that. So see, like that. And I just kept headbutting them. And he's, he's, he's just wrestling, trying to get away from me, and I'm just, I was I was just totally out of my mind with alcohol and furious. And he just basically set the knife, twisting it, had severed three tendons, and I kind of straightened those fingers. But, um, I went to hospital and got it seen to, but um, see if that was somebody who was like me, that knife, I wouldn't have even got a chance to turn around. That would have been right in my heart from behind asked can we get the pool balls out because there was a pool table and they're like no it's half eight in the morning you don't get the pool balls out till night time so i'm like right plan b so went into the shower and i took a box off a bar of imperial leather sock and i put it inside a sock and i tied a knot in it so this the soap didn't get out and i put it in my waistband so we're walking up to education. I mean, this whole thing was silent. It was as if even the staff knew it was going to happen. I don't know saying they did, but it felt that way, looking back. So I seen him standing at the top of the stairs, right? And there was this big group of people like standing in a horseshoe behind him as if they were all just waiting for him to do something. He just bounced down and bounced. He like went to cock his arm back as if to punch me. And I just took out my, my bar of salt and the salt and just whacked him right between the eyes with it, man. They just slid down the wall and that was me and another cart as we call it a cart you get carted hello everybody today i'm with chris in glasgow he's got a youtube channel tin pale tv he served a hell of a lot of time in prison how long chris um, basically half my life. I'm 20 years, in. is it? Something like about 20 years, was it? Well, yeah, yeah, about that, yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on and we appreciate you setting up your channel. I'll put the link in the description box for the viewers if they want to check it out. I saw you on Ricky Colleen, so huge shout out to Ricky as well for putting us together to do this. Now, Chris, on, on this channel, what we like to do is start out with a gripping story you know, from the middle of your life, and then we'll go back to telling your life story in the order it happened. And you were telling me about a story where you were in prison, and did some guys nearly try and blind you or something? Well, I got into a fight with three individuals, and um, I was almost blind. There was a, an attempt made to blind me using a ballpoint pen or something. All right, let's um, go back then. Let's go back to where you were in the prison system, when all of this began? So basically, this story kind of goes back to like maybe 2009, 2010. So there was this um, this guy came into prison who was like um, from close to where I live. Now, I got to know him back in the day when I was selling ecstasy. It, it, it came from quite a well-to-do family in comparison to my own. Like, he stayed in a big sandstone house and always had the best of gear on, like, like brand-new Lacoste track suits. And he, he was quite... 
it was quite privileged in comparison to me and a lot of people I grew up with. And um, he started kind of, he would buy more ecstasy off me than probably a lot of other people I did together. So I was selling ecstasy when I was like 19, 20. And it was, I would get like a hundred and sell for like a pound each, sell them for a five rap piece, depending if I liked you or not, right? So anyway, um, that was how I got to know this person. Um, and... I went away for, I got my 16 year sentence when I was 21. Now this boy was like a few years younger than me, maybe three, four years. And he was in the Young Offenders, right? And um, <clears throat> I came across paths with him in the adult jail, just at the tail end of when I was getting out halfway through my sentence, right? And I'm not going to lie. I did take a liking to him while I was out in the street, um, but a lot of people would tell me he was no good, he was this, he was that, but I'm the type of person, the more people tell me that, the more I'll be stubborn and not that I wouldn't listen, I just like to find out for myself. So um, he came into prison and I saw a completely different side to him. So. I met up with him, I think it was Addywell Prison, which was a, it's relatively a new prison in comparison to a lot of other ones. It was opened in the start of 2009, and I was transferred there from Shorts Prison with three other guys, right, just to fill the numbers. And um, I was in this hall, this wing, or block, whatever you want to call it, and there was a lot of kind of... There was a lot of serious boys in this this hall I was in, right? A lot of kind of drug traffickers, um, high-profile guys, all this kind of stuff, right? So there was me and these... At first, I was kind of friendly with them and all that, and there was two other boys from Mary, and we would sit at the dining table together. And But I was in the middle of doing a degree at this point, a degree in psychology and criminology and I started, my perspective was just kind of, it was changing, like I didn't find some things I'm using, like so if somebody was talking about hurting someone, like back in the day I would have probably have laughed at it or said oh well done, whatever, but I was kind of looking at it now like I wasn't impressed, right? And this is the way this boy was acting. I remember he came back from a, a visit, right? With his, his, his then girlfriend and his two or three-year-old son. And he was telling me how at that visit, he was showing his kid how to slash someone and how to stab someone, right? Now, we're talking about a three-year-old child, right? So basically, the more, uh, more time I was spending running this guy, I'm not going to lie, the more I was just like, <laughs> just no one to be anywhere near him. So, um, the culmination of that was when he got a what you call, what you call a parcel. So I don't know how you would phrase that in like England. So like a consignment of drugs, right? Whether it be big or small, right? So he got a he got a parcel to sell, right? And all these guys like so we so I 
we say it's on tick, on credit, on consignment, right? So everybody's going, give me fifty pound worth, give me ten pound worth, whatever they were doing, right? I don't know the the ins and outs of that aspect to this story, but nobody paid him, right? Nobody paid him up a dime. So what he done was he went and through boiling water. So as if he went through the whole list of people owed the money and found the smallest, weakest one on that whole list and threw boiling water over him. And I was just like, and I'm not, I'm got to be deadly serious with you. Um, I wanted to like beat the shit out of him. What, what kind of damage did the boiling water do? Well, <laughs> wasn't it very nice? It was skin was bubbling and peeling off and all that. Do you know what I mean? So I've seen that. Um, I've not seen that quite a lot, but I've seen, I've seen it happen a few times, and it's just, it's, it just looks nasty. Do you know what I mean? Um. And I, I had just got released then. I got released right about then. This was 2010. So I got out and um, I heard through the grapevine that he was bad-mouthing me while he was in prison, right? And I was just like... It was like this other side of me I was that was telling me to beat him up. But I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was conflicted about beating him up because I had this track record of... Staying out of trouble in prison, not getting involved in anything. I was doing my studying, kind of turning over a new leaf, but I was always getting this niggling thought to just basically drag him in a cell and just give him his dinner. Do you know what I mean? Um, um, so when I got out, people were saying, oh, he was saying this about you, he was saying that, and I was just like, I should have just battered him. So I got recalled in 2011, right? And I went to Berlin for a, a period of time, say six months, something like that, I don't know, seven months, whatever. And then they opened the new Low Moss prison. And so when the new prison opens, they're busing everybody in from everywhere. And um, he was one of the ones that get moved there. And I don't know what prison he came from. And I seen him straight away and I was just like... Um, so he was in... Um, he was in he was in a different part of the, the wing from me and one day he was standing at a pool table with other guys and he was talking about me in unflattering terms. Um and he didn't know that there was a boy there from I knew from shots that was standing with an earshot. And the boy was like, Mate, he would he would annihilate you and, and this boy's kinda of parent, he's the paranoid type. He was like as if he thought, How the hell do you know him? And um I could just feel this tension between me and this boy. And um, the funny thing is, I had actually assaulted him out in the street. No way to jump between stories, but I'd headbutted him so hard that I burst open my own forehead, right? So he's, he's not really much of a threat. It would be a threat if he was standing behind you and he had a weapon. It wouldn't be a threat, like, hand-to-hand locked in a cell or whatever, but if he had a gun, a knife, and he was standing behind you, a baseball bat, he would probably kill you. He's that paranoid, right? So um, people were coming in for the yard and telling me he was saying this and saying that, but I wasn't reacting to it, right? So um, it, it, I had went up, my, my kid's mum had tried to book a visit and they said, um, you can't get that visit. He's got a keep separate. So basically, I don't know what they call it in England, America, but a keep separate is basically the, the the prison knows if you put these two people in a room, it's going to kick off, right? 
in America, do not house, do not house together. It's called in America. Right, so we call it a keep separate. So there's only two ways to get keep separate, right? Intelligence, which is phone calls or snitching, whatever, or one of the two parties goes up to the officers and says, I, I can't be near that guy. And there's just no chance that I'm going to be saying that about him because I know I know him too well. I know him from the street. I, I, I know him from outside, you know what I mean? And um, I think he'd put that in because he was trying to go to the open prison where you get home leaves and all that stuff. And I think he thought, this is going to come to a head between me and him. So he's trying to kind of checkmate me. And I went up to the desk and said, please check on the computer and see who this keep separate is because I didn't know who it was and his name came back. So what they can do is the prisoner the, in Scotland, you can say, say I come up to you and say, um, you're an officer and I say, go and say to um, so-and-so, Joe Bloggs, that to sign the, it's like a form, basically saying, you've no issues with being in a room with me and I was kind of calling his bluff to see if he would sign it, and he signed it. So um, I was walking up to education one day, right? <laughs> and um, I had I had popped tramadol and all that, right? And I was, because it, it used to, I would start reading 10 books at once and all that shit. I was mad for books, right? So um, my buzzers kicked in, and I'm, and I've walked out of the 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 my section my my landing right because it's a new build jail right and when you walk out there's like a a kind of stairway that leads up to the other landings and who's walked right out in front of me like literally right in front of me him right and he, he was with these two other boys who were a bit younger but they were like my size they weren't they like sm they were bigger than him they were quite stocky my height whatever, but this boy who I had, the, I didn't know the other two boys from Adam, but I knew him quite well, and he was walking like a crab, he was walking sideways like this, look, right, and I'm just pure shooting laser beams, right, I could have burned a hole right through him with my eyes, I was staring at him that hard, right, but one of the other boys who he was with, right, he's been like, Fucking, it was kind of on my face about um, talking shit and that. He was saying, like, um, he was like saying to me, You better not be doing X, Y, and Z to him or something. And I, and I was like, and I done that to him, like, Who the fuck are you? See, like that, right in his face. And they said to me, and he done it back at that, Don't fucking growl at me. So we say growl in Scotland, like, don't know what they call it in England, America. I think they say eyeball and whatever, right? So. As soon as he done that, I just fucking, I just headbutted him, right? And then it just kicked off, man. Um, they, so when I was fighting with the boy who I was arguing with, his pal and the guy who I was, had the trouble with, they just ran at me, right? But I was just standing, going punch for punch with this other boy, right? And um, I kind of lost one of my... Because the other one just punching me, and I'm not going to lie, mate. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't being cognizant that he was standing there just hitting me. I was just like, buff, buff, and just getting punched after this other guy. This other guy's punching fuck at me as well, right? So my, one of my legs is kind of dropped, went to like almost go down to the knee, and I've just 
grabbed him from behind his knee, his his ankles, just sunk my teeth into his his thigh and just pulled him to the ground and started punching him. But then I've just felt boof. Like it was either this eye, or, I don't know where it, what, what eye it was. I can't remember, but it was like right on the orbital socket, like right in between my eyelid and my eyebrow. It was like right right there with a pen, right. And my eye was pissing blood, man. It was like, it was quite, it was quite nasty, right? And um, so I chased him. The the one that I was fighting with, and there was the one that stabbed me, who was from where I live. But the other one sprinted away. Like I chased him up the the corridor, and um. The screws had already hit the 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 bell, and um, hundreds of screws just came running and just grabbed us all and blah blah blah, and they took me to the the surgery because I had to get my glued shut right, and um, there was there was two nurses right, one of them I knew from Shorts Prison, and the other one I'm not gonna lie I had a bit of a crush on because <laughs> she was into like. She, she, she knew a bit of Spanish and all that, and I was into my languages. And um, so they've got my shot, blah, blah, blah. But I had to go back up the next day because I had, like, see, like, I, my black eyes weren't here. I had two black eyes, but it, instead of being here, it was up here. It looked like I had eyeshadow on or something. <laughs> so um, I didn't want to go up to education looking like that because I had a really good rapport with the teachers, and that was, like, my academic kind of stuff going on up there and so I went up to educate um up to the surgery sorry to get um the week half like going anywhere and um the nurse said to me see after you left this room yesterday she said we were like do you know think that was so creepy how calm he was and I, I was quite taken aback and I was like what was creepy about it? And she said, because we just knew what you were thinking. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I was a bit, kind of, I was a wee bit taken aback. But um, I went to the, so when you're on Governor's Report, you probably know or heard about yourself. You go to the thing called the orderly room. It's like a, a court in the prison. And um, they were showing me the CCTV and all this kind of stuff. But I, I still just played not guilty anyway. Do you know what I mean? Um. I didn't get a, a hard punishment, but um, I could hear him shouting. He he was obviously putting the the seg, and um, I didn't notice at first. But the woman who was adjudicating the orderly room that day was somebody who was a prison officer when I was in the young offenders before I went to the state hospital, <laughs> and. She asked me a question. She said something. She said something to me. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, "Do you know what?" I says, "I'm not gonna lie." I says, "I hate that boy so much, man. You would have to rewrite the law books for what I would do to him." Do you know what I mean? And I'm just being honest. Um, just a total slime bag, man. Um, but he's still in prison just now, and um, apparently I dread that. Like, people are telling me all the time, like, he's totally flipped. Like, he smokes legal high, he takes every drug going, and his brain's just cooked, you know, so. And what about your eye? How was how was your eye after that? 
was fine. Do you know what? I'm just lucky, man. I'm just lucky that I never lost my because see, see even a fraction of an inch th- south, that pen would have burst my eyeball like a water balloon. Um, and I think that was the intention. Um, so, as I say, man, I'm just a lucky guy, do you know? Um, the amount of situations I've been in in my life where I could have lost a body part or lost my life. Um, and we're and we're going to get to that. We're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna be going over Chris's life story now, viewers, because I saw him on Ricky's channel. As you can tell from that very first story, which was almost twenty minutes long, Chris is really good at telling long stories with great detail, and that's why I was just really gripped watching him on Ricky Colleen's channel, and I couldn't wait to get him on. And I really appreciate you coming on, man. So we're going to go Thank back you, now to the beginning you know we've had a few people on from glasgow blink ferris we've had a few from Postle park and um wh- wh- which part up here. <laughs> what do you call it well you don't say well it's the way we say it nobody says Postle park like if you said that they would think you were undercover or something <laughs> you, say, postle, you just say postle sounds like you're saying postle postle what about you? Where were you from in Glasgow? Where were you originally so born? Back in a small area on the kind of um, southeastern periphery between Glasgow and Lanarkshire. It's called Canvas Lang, which was like um, it was like a Glasgow overspill. I don't know even when they built it because um, my my parents and their parents and all my family from that generation are from the south side of Glasgow, a place called the Gorbals. Um, so my dad's parents moved to Canvas Lang in 1982 when me and my older brother were born. He's older than me by 10 months. So my parents were 17 years old when they had both of us. And um, my dad moved here to get away from that area because um, he, he basically, we were removed from, we weren't allowed to see my mum because of the kind of nature of the stuff she was in her family were just crazy, man, especially compared to my dad's family. They're nothing nothing like them, you know. So we moved here um, then. And basically, I've, I've, I've been born and raised here, um, but obviously I've lived in prison and I lived in England for a few years as a kid. So other than the three years I lived in England and all the prison time I've done, I've been here forever. <laughs> Chris, how, do you know how your mum and dad met? Well, they're from the same housing estate, so I think it was just like, basically what I heard was <laughs> my mum was attracted to my dad and it went for there, but my dad was a bit of a my dad was a bit of a womaniser, he was a bit of a ladies man and there was always some there was always somebody wanted with women. He always had girlfriends, and I remember even like women in my area telling me as a kid, like after my dad died, obviously, she was only thirty-one when he died, so younger than I am now. And um, they would tell me like, "I thought your dad was very handsome," and I'm just like, it's just, it's just a bit weird hearing that. But um, they met because they were from the same area. You know what so, I mean? so, so what's your earliest memories? Basically, living round here and 
being taken to school, like um, going to my grand's, my gran, my gran, my grandpa lived like basically like two streets away from where me, my dad, and my brother lived. Um, out playing with my friends, like we'd play a thing called scushy guns, so like water guns, and we'd just chase each other in the summer. Um, we'd go and catch bees. Um, used to catch bees in a jar and. Then when you caught enough of them, you would just let them go. Or, um, but also one of my earliest memories is, um, so my dad being from the Gorbals, right, one of my earliest memories was um, my dad, me and my brother, we dressed the same. We, people thought we were twins up until the age of 10 or something because we're only 10 months apart, right? Um, but I was like, the fat one, there's always the fat one, and oh, that was me. Um, so I remember one day, and it wasn't like a formal thing, like sit down to explain this, it was nothing like that. Remember, my dad just sitting telling his stories about um, growing up in the gobbles, um, gang fighting on the Clyde Bridge with boys from Domarnock and Brigton, and these are areas in Glasgow that are just as bad as the gobbles, um, getting stabbed and I'm, do you know that now that I'm older, I sit and think, why would you tell a five and a six-year-old that those stories? Do you know? So, I, and do you know what's funny about that? Me and my brother. It's almost like after that happened, we would go into school. So I was like the first year of my school, right? And my brother was the year above me. Do you know that? Like me and boys in my class would meet in the playground and fight my brother's class, and we would go back into. We called it dummy fighting, so pretend fighting, right? Um, but it was a bit kind of straddling the line between being fake and being real. And um, I remember, wasn't it too long before the teachers caught on to it and we were all like kind of kept in during the, the break hours? And <laughs> um, yeah, so I always wondered did that plant the seed? from what came later if you get me like and it lay dormant until after my dad's passing um i don't know but i just found that a bit um, i wouldn't tell my kid that at that age you know <laughs> so you said you live with your dad did your mum visit you no so basically um my dad went to court and basically to, so that my mum wasn't allowed to see us because her family were like um, compared to my dad's family they were like involved in drug dealing and like firearms um, a couple of them have been convicted of murder so my dad's family like I think I'm the only one in my whole dad's side with any sort of serious prison time serious conviction so my dad and my grandparents went to court and um, my mum turned up. But um, do you know my mum's own sister, right? My mum's own sister walked up to my gran, my grandma, and said, if your son doesn't get those boys, I'll make sure she doesn't. Tells you its own story about them, doesn't it? That's her own sister saying that. Um, how how thankfully... did... I... I'm sorry, keep going. So thankfully, she wasn't awarded any sort of parental rights anything at all like that because um i went to live with her when i was like 11 for like a year and four months and oh jesus man the things that were going on like it's what i said on ricky's channel that that time in there scarred me more than any prison time i've ever done so 
But early on, that must that must have hurt early on, not being able to what see you your mean? mum. I didn't know her. I didn't know who she, I'd never, I don't remember any contact, any, any, I'd never seen her. I didn't meet her until I was like 10 years old. Do you know what I mean? Um, my gran, see my grandma, my dad's mum, she was like my mum. She was like my, me and my brother's mum. She was like a substitute mum for us, you know, like we were always in our house, like, like she'd be sitting on a, an armchair and I'd be sitting there, my brother'd be sitting there, like flanking her, like Romulus and Remus or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so would you would you would you say that you had a happy childhood then? Do you know what? I would say it could have been a hell of a lot worse. There was there was obviously stuff happening. Um, with my dad's addiction and sometimes I'd see like um, fights or whatever but it, I was never in fear I never lived in fear not once not once was I ever scared of any of my dad's family whereas my mum's family like I was walking on eggshells the whole time I lived there do you know what I mean and I was like vis- viscerally terrified of them and how were you in school? <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say this right but my dad told me that the school that me and my brother first went to wanted to start me a year early because I was bright <laughs> um, I was I was obsessed with books like I could name every cap, just about every capital city in the planet, just off the top of my head from staring at maps and atlases for hours. Like, remember we didn't have internet back in those days, and um, you couldn't just Google stuff. So I was, I was like, I could, you could show me a, a page of flags, like con- the flags of countries, and I could tell you what one was what. Like just from being obsessed with this kind of stuff. Um, I've, so I was always kind of classed as a, a bright child but ma- mathematics wasn't in my strong point you know I, to me that was like code breaking I'd be just shut <laughs> down but um, other than that I was all right until like the, the kind of the high school years um, where everything started kind of going pear shit. <laughs> Why was the decision made for you to spend time with your mum for a bit? So there wasn't a kind of formal decision made what basically happened was my dad had moved to a place called Hastings in England. And um, we came up here to Glasgow to my grand's one Christmas. It was the Christmas 1992, I'm sure. And um, I was out, out in the, the middle of the area I'm in right now. I was building what we called a gang hut, me and my friend, right? And we used to like put, we used to do drawings, what we called wanted posters of these boys. We just, we fought with them all the time. Wasn't it like serious stuff, just like sticking the fingers up, I'm going to beat you up, or having a fist fight? It never went any more serious than that, right? Wasn't it serious stuff? But um, basically, we were building this gang hut, and somebody came and said to me, There's a woman out there looking for you. And I'm like, Oh no, like, who's this? And I walked out and I saw this woman just caked in jewellery and it wasn't like it wasn't like Argos jewellery, do you know? It was like I looked really kinda looked a few quid. And she's like, Come here. There was a fence separating us and I'm like, I just thought I've been fighting with her son, she's gonna get me into trouble. And I was like, Who are you? And she's like, I'm your mum. So 
we kind of went from there. She's like, where's your dad? I want to speak to him. So I took her to meet my dad and we went to a pub and my mum and my dad were talking. We weren't really participating in the conversation. She was wanting us to go back and live where my dad was totally adamant it wasn't happening. So we went back to Hastings, but she had given me her phone number and I kept like phoning her. And then she's like, listen, doesn't it matter what your dad says? If you want to come here, you can come here. And she sent her husband and me and my brother went in a car in Hastings and drove all the way back to Glasgow. And that was the start of living with her. And what was that like, that time you spent with her? So to begin with, it was, I didn't notice any danger signs. I didn't notice anything. But, um... After my brother left, like they were selling heroin from the flat, and I did. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a eleven year old kid. I don't, I don't know. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. It's a word from our sponsor, Shady Rays, and it is the season of giving. Get the perfect gift for that special somebody, yourself or both. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that won't break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers an unrivaled product. That's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and world-class optics for all outdoor adventures. And Jen's blonde locks aren't getting tangled. In the tangle-free nose piece, so I can put it up in my hair like this. (laughs) No catching. With an extensive array of styles and colours, you're bound to find the perfect pair of Shady Rays sunglasses. And if you're into winter sports, their quick-swap snow lenses move effortlessly between full sun to low-light environments. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost or broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out a very merry deal for the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code SHAUN for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over a quarter million people. That's shadyrays.com, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, for 50% off or two more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Link in the description box if you're watching this on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Back to the podcast. Cheers. So they've been doing that and um, basically they would, like the bedroom that me, I shared with my brother my young brother Tony, um, there was no room, there was no handle on this door, you couldn't open it from the inside, it could only be opened from the outside, um, and like after a while I just noticed that something's no right about those two man, like my mum would just um, fly into these crazy rages sometimes, like I remember I came back from, she sent me to the shop right, to buy bread, milk, whatever, came back and I think I was like 50 pence short of my change. I didn't check it. I'd never done that because, as I say, I just hated any sort of counting. And she just flew into this crazy rage and I kept thinking, like, like in the back of my mind, I was terrified, right? But I was thinking, like, how, how, I'll go back to the shop and ask about it. And, like, she snapped a golf club over my, my thigh Um uh, like that was just one one time I can think of and that same night she stabbed me on the forearm with a pen um, just, just a crazy crazy person man um, and 
the the other one time. So what I used to do was I would wait till she let me out to go to school or whatever, and I would go to the social workers and I would like tell them, "Listen, I'm in fear. I don't want to live there. I want to go back to my grand." Blah blah blah. And they would always take me back. Like one time, I ran away at New Year, and the the police came and took me back and see the see the beating I got. It was over the course of two days, maybe three. Um, it was in it was like an instalment. Um, I had three caught like wooden see the wooden bars in a baby's cot. I had three of them snapped over the top of my head that resulted in lumps so like when you smile know how you need to use facial muscles like it was sore on the top of my head i had a black eye i had purple stripes all over my back in the back of my legs and my butt um just yellow bruises all over my shins and like they were just they were crazy man they were just they were in you would go to prison for doing that now but obviously i'm just thinking like maybe i deserved it or Come on, man. Like, I've got a son at 12. Won't be tied to anybody who ever done that to him. <laughs> Indeed. Did you make a plan to get out? So, basically, what happened was um, I'd started my first high school there, which was um, in the Gobbles. It was just in the, a place called Oatlands, right, which is an older part of the Gobbles. Um, so, I had a... So, my dad's... My dad's oldest sister, her son lived in the Gobbles, funnily enough. And one day I was outside sitting in a swing park, just staring, like at the on a swing, just staring at the <laughs> the the floor. And I heard somebody call my name. It was my cousin. And he's like, Can I speak to you? But it was like he must have knew what he was doing because he shouted me out of the way in my mum's window so they couldn't see us. And um he's like my gran wants you to get in touch with her. They're her phone number. So this is my dad's mum. Um, and I went to a phone box and I reversed the charges or I spent my dinner money, I can't remember. And I was talking to her and she was just like, listen, I'll come and pick you up, blah, blah, blah. So she told me she would come and pick me up with her son-in-law in his car. But see, on the day, I, 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 this was like Midnight Express stuff. Nobody was getting told, no, even my wee brother. Nobody was getting told my plans to get away because I wanted to make sure I got away, right? So, um, on the day that I was supposed to meet my gran and my uncle at my high school, she didn't send me to school. And I'm like, oh, no, she knows, man. I was just waiting on her, shouting me into the living room to give me an interrogation session. Um, and then see, see that night, she asked me to go to the shop for her, right? And um, I walked to... A place in the gobbles called the Cumberland Arcade. This was where all the kind of the 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 dodgy characters all kind of congregated at night. And um, sending a twelve-year-old boy up there, not I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, what I basically done was just walked from the gobbles. In fact, in fact, I went to. I asked a black cackney taxi, a black cab. Would you drive me to Canvas Lang? They refused to take me, and I don't know if it was because of the age or because they felt I was going to maybe run away without paying the fare or whatever. I don't know, but um, I just thought, no, what? There's no going back now, man. And I walked, I walked, and I walked. And, I, you know, I kept turning back to look at the gorbals, see the high flats. I just kept turning back and looking at them because I just expected her, just this is how scared I was of them. I was expecting them just to appear out of nowhere and just drive me back there because it had happened a few times before. 
But um, I got to my grand's and, you know, she didn't even send the cops out to look for me. I could have been in a ditch for all she knew. <laughs> but I wasn't. I got away and that was that. Was that. How did all that affect your character? You mean living there? Yeah, that experience of living with your mom and being basically tortured. Uh, how did that affect your character? I would say that kind of... I didn't know at the time, but obviously being a dad now, I look at it differently. At the time, I think this is just what parents do, but my dad had never done anything like that to me. Nobody on my dad's side had ever done that. I just thought everything my, my family told me about them, my dad's family told me about them were true, you know? Um, they're just a different breed. Um, they're no nice people. Like, there's some of them that are kind of, that are not like that, but my mum and a couple of brothers are just, they're just not right in the head. Um, but I, th- I think it's affected me in the sense that when you look at it through the eyes of being a parent, right, I have a son that was, my son's this age I was then, like, I don't even raise my voice to my kid. It doesn't give me a reason to, but I don't anyway, you know? And I think, like, what kind of planet are they on? <laughs> Do you know? Um, they're just no fit to walk amongst us. Do you know what I mean? So you went through that. that honest. You went through that at that young age, and then you lost your dad. That must have well, been. That would, <sighs> yeah, that 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 fractured my psyche, man. So it did. How old were you? So my dad passed away like two months before I turned 14. So basically what happened was after I left my mum's, I went back to Hastings um, and my dad's brother lived in Hastings at the same time as my dad and he passed away, right? Um, And he was like 30. So we had to come back to Scotland for his funeral. Then we went back to Hastings and then we found out that my dad's sister had cancer, she was 38, so my uncle died in March 1995, then my aunt died in November 95, but by that time we were already back staying with my gran, my grandpa, and then in March 1996 my dad passed away as well, so they were all in their 30s. Was that cancer as well? Who, my dad? Yep. No, 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 (laughs) no, um... So I'll go into it if you do you want me to go into it, yeah? I don't want you to be reliving it, but if you want to just let no. us know what the cause of death was. Talking about it that much, it just it's, it's talking about it's cathartic at times, you know. Like yeah. um so basically what happened was um the story I get told right by my gran and that was um he had this friend, right, who had introduced him to a third party. Now this third party, what I heard was this guy tried to rob my dad for something. My dad um, used a knife on him, right? So my dad got arrested for ABH, GBH, whatever it was, right? An English charge. And um, he got police bail because he doesn't have any prison time, anything like that, right? So he got up for the police station and... The guy who introduced him to this third party was like, let's let bygones be bygones. And my dad went away with him. And next thing, my dad's found OD'd in a bed sit 
and my grand told me what happened was the pathologist actually knew my dad from when my uncle had died. She she actually did my uncle's autopsy and my dad's, and she said to my my grandma that this is a suspicious death. She said she and she explained it to my grandma right. Um, that there was something to do with the uh, the lividity in the body or whatever, right? And um, this guy had actually she, my, the pathologist told my grand this guy's done this before, and the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up telling you this because I didn't believe that, and I'm quite into studying serial offending as part of my criminology, right? And um. In 2016, when I was in Kilmarnock Prison, I wrote to the HM coroner in East Sussex, and I got all the statements, all the reports, everything. And there's a witness statement in that that was given to the CID by a woman who this guy had went and basically confessed to. He turned up at her, her door saying, my life's over, the blah, blah, blah. Just quite, quite incriminating statements, right? Um, and then he left the area and moved to Margate. Now, the funny thing is, See the woman he's been accused of of doing this to before. Her name is in these statements. This woman says, I know he's done this to somebody before. So basically, the pathologist was basically saying she thinks that while my dad, my dad had been drinking and taking sleepers and um, he's fell asleep on a bed and um, he's put a hot shot on him and he choked in his vomit. Yeah, it's a, it's a common method that goes undetected that people employ that in prison as well. Um, where That's I was horrendous. housed, yeah, pe- people haven't paid the debts, things like that. The, um, yeah, it is horrendous. And one of the cops we interviewed, he said there was a case in, I think it was in Brighton, where deaths by that method, they, they were so high, these overdoses, there was no explanation, and when they checked it out, they realized that these people had been uh, killed by a gang, but they'd just been all recorded as overdoses. And this was a cop telling us this. They'd, the overdose rate went up so high, they had to investigate it, and that's what they determined. It was hot shots. That's just, that infuriates me, because that their families are just going to... Like, even if you say the cops or whoever, I know that that wasn't, I know, whatever, it's like, well, he's got a track record for using, like, I've done bad things before in my life, right, but I couldn't fathom doing that to somebody because not only are you taking a life, you're, you're, you're leaving that family with a, the notion that that was just accidental or... They had a bit too much, whatever, and just vermin, man, vermin. What was your life like after that, Chris? It must have been, you know, really shook your world. At first, I was just kind of a bit, I don't know. But I would say that before that, I was kind of getting into a wee bit of trouble at school, like with fighting, and but I wasn't carrying weapons and all this kind of stuff, but... So before that happened, I did they kind of hang about with the kind of the local, the local. I don't want to say street gang, but you know what I mean, don't you? Like, um, so every area has got its own like young team, its own gang, and basically um, when this happened, like I almost just started hanging with them 
almost overnight, and that was the start of my offending, my attitudes, my kind of modelling myself on uh, what to be the next big thing, whatever, do you know? So yeah, that, was, that not... was the... that I compare it to like a nuclear submarine, right? There's a nuclear reactor in a nuclear submarine which powers the submarine. So if I'm the submarine, the, the nuclear reactor was the kind of trauma from my dad's death. It was just... It was unrelenting. It was like a furnace and I had to feed it with violence and hurting people and but then do you know what see as i said on big ricky's channel like sometimes i would um i'd, I'd just be lying in my room at night crying a 14 year old kid um a lot of the time it has been when i drunk myself into a stupor do you know because like we didn't talk about this at home like my gran and grandpa didn't sit me down and say how do you feel no that I, i'm blaming them it's not there their fault, do you know what I mean? But it's like it's what Ricky said on his channel as well. You go to let it out some other way. What's the release valve? Where's it coming out? It's coming out because the, the so act so see the word pathology. The best way I heard that described was illness that speaks speaks through actions. So that was my pathology, that stuff, and it was coming out and offending and violence and um. The stuff that I was doing, you know, and there's several stories, uh, some extreme violence and incidents. We've got New Year 1997. <laughs> that was um, that was a, that was a bit of, a, that was quite memorable. So basically, I'll kind of go into that. So as I said, when I started hanging with the kind of the local boys, um, so. We used to, we'd be gang fighting all the time. Um, we'd, so what we would do is, like, we would all, like, after school, we would all get ninjaed up, like, so the, the track suits, the hoods, the scarves, the baseball bats, the, the, the iron bars, and we would just walk through other areas where we, these boys were doing the same, the same behaviour, and we would just hope that, so, like, it was like going fishing, you would be trying to catch a fish. Um so that New Year's right, so it was it was New Year's Eve and the snow was like up to my knees, right? And um my gran and grandpa were putting on like a spread in the house, which they done every year, right? So there was like ten or twelve years. We're all we're all best pals since we're in the sand pits, but <laughs> and um we kinda split up into two groups. But this is the pre-mobile phone days. You can't just phone and say, where are you? We'll come meet you. Do you know, it was like pay phones and landlines back then. And um, so we've split up into two groups and there was like me and four, me and my brother and like three or four, uh, our group in my house. And then the others went to my other pal's house, right? But I didn't know one of them had came to the intercom buzzer. So you press the button, like my flat number, you press it, the intercom. And he asked if we were there, and my aunt, my auntie answered it, my dad's younger sister, and um, one of them had used derogatory language, right, <laughs> um, looking for me and my brother. But he was just drunk. He wasn't. He wasn't like looking for us to beat us up or anything. And um, my brother's heard this, and he's just, <laughs> he's just went into Terminator mode, right? 
so <laughs> we're out in the we're out in the freezing snow, right? And we're we're looking for our other pals, right? Who we were gang fighting every other day. They get together, but this night we were all basically <laughs> gang fighting each other. That our group v that group, and um, so we're walking towards my other friends who swear they were all sitting, and the guy who had um been unkind to my auntie. He's walked over, his face was all screwed up. I think he'd been on the 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 disco biscuits now. And um <laughs> his chin was like a pendulum, <laughs> a swinging brick. And he's walked over and he's just said something really kinda snide, like kinda cheeky, or it was perceived that way. And um I can't remember if it was me or my brother that threw the first punch, but see as soon as that first punch get flung, that was it, man. We were all just in this car park. We were all just like attacking each other and body slams and oh it was it was it was carnage mate. We're all like with ages of like say fourteen up to like maybe eighteen or nineteen, right? Um and the boy who was um <laughs> see the boy who this kinda all started through, he's went to get back to his feet, right? <laughs> and uh, my pal Hazy's had this big carrier bag full of like cans of Tenants, Wagger, Strombo, Budweiser, whatever it was. He's swinging them round his head like a lasso, right? And he just swung it. See as it's coming round, he built up the momentum and he swung it as it's coming round. And it just went <clears throat> right into the side of this boy's head, right? And just sparked him out. And um, we're chasing each other around in circles and whacking each other with bottles, like alcohol bottles of vodka, all that stuff, right? Um it was mad, right? So we went back to my 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 grand's house, and then the the intercom buzzer went again, and it was my other pal who we'd been fighting with in the car park, and he was like that, um, to me, you better get down here, and it was quite, um, <laughs> made a reference to my weight, <laughs> um, so I'm like, is that right, aye? But my brother, my brother, my brother held him at the door. And my brother just ran out, didn't even stop to pause. He just ran out and I looked at the the back window and I seen him and my brother rolling about in the snow. My brother didn't even have a t-shirt on, right? And the guy's girlfriend was screaming and all this, right? And and I went to run out the stairs and then I remembered I had a baseball bat behind my headboard and I went and grabbed it and I went round the side of the building and um, his, his spine was exposed see his lower back and I just whacked him three times in the spine as hard as I could and he boosted but um, that 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 night was just madness man like we still talk about that when we see each other and um, thankfully none of us get arrested then um, but the next day like I had taken a because the boy I took with the baseball bat he's, he's still a good friend of mine and um, he'd been walking about the ne- for the next three days, like, tooled up, and he's no shy, you know, so, like, my brother had taken a, <laughs> my brother had to use diplomatic channels to kind of move it over, we were all best pals after it, but that night was just, um, that was madness, man. <laughs> so the next one was something that happened in the garden. Oh, so, me and my pal, we're going into Glasgow City Centre to get new trainers, right? And the bus travels up a road that basically separates these two areas. And my my, my best pal um, had just moved there, right? 
and we seen all these boys walking out of this area and we like we hated every single one of them and um they seen us on the bus and i'm like what what do you think they were doing up there and he's like don't know but they were all like oh sticking their fingers up all that shit right so when we got back from the the center we'd found out that they were actually just leaving the area because they had bricked my best pal's head they just bricked his head in we'd met his so we there was let's say 12 years we all walked up to his mum's house we were like what happened to him blah 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 and so he's ran out to fight with one of them and he didn't know there was like another two of them hiding around the corner or whatever and he had to go to hospital and get staples in his head quite a few it looked nasty do you know that's a, it's a brick <laughs> Um, so we we were just like that man. We need to do something about this. Somebody's getting done in tonight. Do you know what I mean? Um, so the area don't want to sound too confusing, but the area where my pal had moved to it's just along the road for me. But they had two camps. There was like our, the camp who were our pals, and then there was a camp who weren't our pals. So what happened was we. Or just, it was like, this is, we're talking pitch black at night before we went out, like, this, the hoods up and all that stuff. And um, the boy who, <laughs> we'd, we'd, so we'd run, try to kind of sandwich them in, and they're all running through buildings, dunes, lanes, everything, right? But the guy who I'd actually hooked with the baseball bat, he could run like a greyhound man, right? So I've seen him running after somebody doing this hill, and I thought, run after him because whoever he's chasing is getting captured. Do you know he's that fast? So I've ran down the hill, right? I had this big club, this big wooden club, and um, I just seen, when I got to the bottom of the, the, the hill, I seen my pal's feet disappearing over a hedge like a horse in the Grand National. And I'm like, he's he's captured somebody. And um, I've, so, but I, I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't quite agile back in the days. I'm still no agile, but um, I've ran through the gate, the garden gate, right? And I'm like, who did you catch? Who did you catch? And he's like, I've caught so and so. Now this boy, he told me his name. I was, my blood was gone warm just at the thought because he'd been shouting abuse at me a couple of weeks before this, and I kept chasing him and I could never catch him. But he had like a, see, like a, a beanie cap on, and he had a dark clothing, so I couldn't really see who it was. And I done that, turned him over, turned him over, and he's like, um, turned him over, and I says, what's your name? And he told me his name, and that was it, man. I just started whacking him over the head, whacking him in the arms and everything, just pounding the hell out of him. And then everybody else had caught up at this point, and we just gave him um, a severe beating. And then um, I'd heard after that, I think he'd fractured a few ribs or had some sort of internal bleeding. But I was like 14 at this point. So after we'd done that, We'd walked along the road and crossed the road into the area where the people lived who had actually done this to my friend. And um, there was a couple of them playing football, but not really the ones we wanted. It was like kind of the, the peripheral players, but um, one of them, we just chased them. And one of them, they, they were all jumping over this upturned shopping trolley. And the last one of them had run to vault over it and he'd, he'd lost his footing and he was caught and they were all just smashing him with bottles and whatever. But see, by the time I got to him, he was holding his head and it was blood pissing out his head. And that must have been one of the few times where I just thought, I don't, I'm not even going to do it to him because it looks like he's had a few, do you know? So 
Um, aye, that was that was. Um, we, we were only young then, you know, and you just look back and you're like. <laughs> and then this activity escalates into a stabbing. Oh, so that was actually me got stabbed. Um, so the first time I got stabbed, right? Um, so it was actually my my cousin. He's the same. He's the same age as me, but he's passed away now. Um, so basically, um, I w- I was up his house one day, right? We were all sitting partying, drinking, and he lives in the area where I've just told you about. And see the boy that I'd caught in the garden. I seen him walking in the street with his, with two with two his the other boys we chased, and somebody just mentioned his name, and I'm like, Psh. see, like when you you say to a dog, are you gonna? <laughs> and it perks up. That was that was like the way I was, and um, before I ran out to chase them, but my cousin started getting really kind of upset with me and getting kind of getting kind of confrontational and um, he flung a few punches at me but by this point listen I'm not gonna lie right I was I was totally I was just gone temper what I had no self-control whatsoever right and he, he punched me right and I said to him do that again see what happens and he did it again right and I was like watch this and I walked into his kitchen and I picked out a, a kitchen knife and I, I ran, I just ran at him in the living room, but his dad, his dad came in and just floored us, like tripped us up or whatever, and I dropped the knife, and I've sat up, and when I sat up, um, he stabbed me, like, right here, and it came out here, like, right there. Um, I had to get, like, like 80-odd stitches, and they, had to, they said they had to do what I think called microsurgery, so um, I've had a few whacks on that arm, but um, I went to hospital and got it seen to, and um, but it makes me wonder when I look back on it, imagine that just went right in there, right in here or here, in a vital area. Like, and he always used to say to me, "I really regret doing that to you because we were talking like the next day, but or whatever." When I got to hospital, we were talking as if nothing happened, and he always used to say to me how he regretted it. But I was like, I used to think he was mad for saying that because. I had I tried to hurt him first and I came off worse because I dropped my knife and it's quite weird because I remember a woman who she used to work for the police saying I don't know how many murder scenes I've been to where the, the dead body is somebody who was killed with a knife that they try to stab somebody with. So people carry knives, you just don't know what you could just slip in a banana peel, fall down the stairs and drop your your, your tool and then the other guy's got it and it's good night in Vienna, do you know what I mean? So it's, I would uh, just, I uh, don't even want to go there, you know what I mean? <laughs> so something happened at a shop and then there was an attacking of the cops. Oh. So, um, so I was going with this lassie for, for an area on the south side of Glasgow, it was called Castle Milk, because I started going to school there, right? And I would phone her and, um, this guy would be shouting in the background, I'm, I'm going with your girlfriend, right? And I'm like, steam coming out my ears, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him, playing on repeat in my brain, right? <laughs> and um, so my cousin who stabbed me, I was like, 
I found out where this guy worked because he was older than me. He had a job in a wallpaper shop, and I'm like, we're gonna kill him, man. So one day he stayed off school, and we got a bus to the south side of Glasgow to find him, and um, just so happens that we had the right shop, but he was off work that day. Just the stars had aligned, you know, and um. And I was like, oh, well, we, I, so I went in to the shop and I was like, hi, is Mr. X in today? And she's like, no, no, he's off today. And I was like, oh, will you tell him Chris McPherson was in looking for him? Because I know straight away he would have known what that meant. He would have known the significance of that, that kind of somebody turning up in the shop, right? So I said to my cousin, what do you want to do now? And he's like, let's go and get drunk. So we got the bus back up to where I live. We bought like cheap cider, we're getting drunk. So there was a shop, like a small news agent that me and all my pals used to kind of congregate outside every lunchtime and every, when school ended during the day, right? And I remember standing there, right? And there was these boys at the school, the high school, and we we, we weren't friendly with these boys at all. And somebody was like that to me. They're so they're the so and so ones, the the so and so mob, whatever, whatever area, right? And I'm like, oh, is it? Because I was totally wrecked. I was legless, right? <laughs> I had a white tracksuit on, right? And I just had this big iron bar, and I was just chasing them like through the school. They're all the same age as me, but but they were all still in the school. I was kicked out, and I was just I couldn't even walk in a straight line. I was so drunk, right? So somebody called the cops. And I'm walking towards my grand's house. They were parked at the end of the street. And um, they just came out of the car and was like, hi, where are you going? Let's take you home. <laughs> and um, when they took me into my living room, um, my gran and grandpa were sitting there with two social workers who I knew as if they were sitting talking about how, how bad I was being or me and my brother were being or whatever. And then we've just walked in the living room and um, stuff's been said. And um, I remember I picked up, see, like an ornament, a vase or something, a vase, like a glass kind of ornament or whatever. I just done that, just lifted it over my head and just went to go to the cop. And the guy, next thing I know, right, I was on my back. Like, he just done, he done a mad, it was like a Steven Seagal move. Just totally, <laughs> you know, he just floored us. I wouldn't have been much weight anyways, a grown man. I'm a 14-year-old boy, right? And the guy dragged me out of that house, my grand's house. I was screaming, like, and it wasn't just a normal scream. This was, like, for the depths in my soul. And I think it was a lot of pain coming out. And you know what's really funny? See, when I went and got charged for the hang of the 16 year for him, no way to jump ahead, but I'll just tell you this, right? See the guy in the CID who was interviewing me? It was the guy who decked me, and I didn't know. And he said to me, when he stopped the interview, he said, I don't know if it was you or your brother, he said, but I remember I arrested one of you because you tried to hit me with a vase, and I says, that was me. And he said to me, I've never seen a child with so much anger built up inside them. That's what he said. Ah, he said that to me, man, and I was like, it was a bit of a sobering moment because it put into clarity the way I the way I actually was because sometimes I don't know how I come across to people, do you know? So um aye, it was it was quite sobering to hear that and to see him all those years later. 
Definitely and it's understandable, are. you know, from what you told us earlier, it's understandable where that anger came from. I'm sure the yeah. viewers can see can see what led to all this. And then we've got... Yeah, you know, it's not an excuse, but you're a kid and you've been traumatized and we see it over and over again. This is the root cause of crime and addiction. All right, so we've yeah, got... Yeah. I don't want to mess these pronunciations up. Long Ridgend to Carillon. Long Ridgend. Long Ridgend. Yeah, that was, a, that was like... Um, so have you ever heard of Polmont, the young offenders in Scotland? So Long Ridgend was basically a remand centre, but for 16 to 21-year-olds. Um, so I got put in Long Ridgend as a schoolboy. So Long Ridgend was part of the prison system, but Law is like a, a detention centre for people who aren't old enough to go to prison. So basically what happened was I got put into, I got arrested for abducting two social workers, right? Um, bit of a weird kind of, <laughs> you know, but... How did you end up happened, abducting them? Um, well, I'll get into that. So basically I was living with my girlfriend, right, and her mum in Castlemilk, and the guy who I had went to the shop to find... Like, I was still obsessed with getting this guy. Like, I would sneak at my girlfriend's house in the middle of the night and slash his tyres, smash his windows, scratch his car, all that stuff, right? And then on the day that I had done this to the social workers, what happened was I was drinking vodka and then I started drinking cans of lager or beer. And he was he had an aunt or a cousin who lived across the road from my girlfriend's mum and he was helping them fix a car. And I see the more I was drinking, it was like I was basically just st stuck to him, right? And it, the, the more I'm drinking, the more my inhibitions are going down, right? And I'm just like, you're for it tonight, boy, tonight's your night. And then my girlfriend's mum, she just must have got a vibe, something, she just knew. And I kept saying to her, just go away, just go away. And she's like, no, no, you're going to do something as soon as I leave your side. And I was. As soon as she left my side, I was just going to walk right out the front door and give him the treatment. And um, she wouldn't leave my side. And I wouldn't do it while she was there because obviously, like, I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't know why. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, how can you do that but do this? And um, they phoned um, social workers. This is, this is 11, 12 o'clock at night on a Friday. So I couldn't get a hold of my gran. So what happened was, the social workers came out to get me and they put me in the car. But I had a I had a kitchen knife inside my, my tracksuit top because I, I almost always carried back then. And um, then I started thinking to myself, like, no, I'm not going to this because this, it was somewhere about the sticks. And I'm like, no chance. I've never been away for like a, maybe a five-mile radius in my life around here, right? So I started saying, gonna drop me off at my pals, I'll sleep there tonight, not and she's like, This is my pal who get bricked, right? And one of them was kinda of being a bit more the more I was asking, the more angrier she was getting, right? And then um she ended up breaking the motor, the car. She broke the car, right? And she was like, 
if you don't want to come with us, you get out this car right now. Now we're on like the shoulder of an expressway or something, and it's just fields and trees on either side that would <laughs> I would have needed my knife walking through there, do you know? <laughs> um, and I was just like, no, that's not happening. So then I started thinking like social workers because I've never really, I've never, I've never kind of got along with them. Obviously because of the stuff came back to my mum, right? And then I just done that. I just pulled my knife out and I just done that to them. I says, listen, turn this car around and this is where you're going to drive. See if you don't, you're going to get this. And I was, I was like being quite, the way I was telling them, I think they weren't going to take a chance that I was going to use it, right? So they turned the car around and um, during that time I could hear like a beating noise and it later transpired caught one of them was trying to activate some sort of distress thing in the car somewhere. So I'm like cutting the seats open and I'm like, is this car bugged? And da, 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 da. So we got to where my pal lives and um there was a cop there was a cop car in the street looking for somebody. It wasn't looking for me and it wasn't looking for my pal. And um when they've saw that, they've just braked the car and just both just ejected themselves for the car. And um the cops came and um obviously took me into custody. And then I got taken to Glasgow Sheriff Court, then on to Berlini, and because I was a schoolboy, they couldn't put me into, like, mainstream Berlini, so they held me in the reception area until they could either find me a place in Longrig End, but preferably Law, which was a secure unit at the detention centre. So Law had no beds at the time, so I went to Longrig End for a week, which is a young offender's prison, a remand prison, and I was in there for a week, and then... Went to Kelo after a week, so. What was the situation with George? Oh, uh, so. The. When I when I went there, I just felt really, like I didn't fit in, um. And. Th- there was these three boys, right? Who always kind of. I always saw them together. They were all in this kind of same part of the, 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 the institution and all that. And they always had like girls that followed them about because there was girls there as well. And um, uh, what happened was um, I was arguing with this girl, right? And um, she said something like that just totally pushed a button and I threw a trainer or a slipper and it hurt her on the head, right? So all the staff have all jumped on me and put me in you know, the wrist locks and restrained me. And while you're restraining me, my anger's just building and building and building. And I'm like, I'm going to kill every one of you. And I'm screaming like the exorcist, like I mean a demon, right? So this boy, one of the, the, the three boys, right, he's walking past me and he's laughing at me. And I'm just like, oh, you, you effing wait, kid. Honestly, I was just like, you wait, man. Will you wait till I get up? So... They removed me to the, it's called a separation cell, it's like a concrete cell, nothing in it, with a slit on it, and um, I was sitting in there, and then they, they took me back to my own room, then somebody shouted through and said, he says, he's got to attack you on site, but I was, I, I, I didn't, I'm always trying to second guess everything, and basically what I read between the lines was, it's not just got to be him, so the next morning I went downstairs, and you could have cut this atmosphere with a knife. Um, and I just knew something's, something's got to kick off here. So I asked 
can we get the pool balls out? Because there was a pool table and they're like, no, it's half eight in the morning. You don't get the pool balls out till night time. So I'm like, right, plan B. So went into the shower and I took a box off a bar of imperial leather soap and I put it inside a sock and I tied a knot in it so this, the soap didn't get out and I put it in my waistband. So we're walking up to education. I mean, this whole thing was silent. It was as if even the staff knew it was going to happen. I don't, I'm not saying they did, but it felt that way looking back so i seen him standing at the top of the stairs right and there was this big group of people all, like standing in a horseshoe behind him as if they were all just waiting for him to do something they just bounced down and done see like went to cock his arm back as if they punched me and i just took up my my bar of soap and the soap and just whacked him right between the eyes with man they just slid down the wall and that was me and another cart as we call it, a cart. You get carted. What about Tam? Oh. So, I was in the... This was way after the other thing. Um, so, we were in the education department. And, um... We were in the, like, the cooking class, right? So, there's, like, four boys and um, a female teacher. And we were arguing over the microwave. I can't. It was something to do with the settings, right? And I'd forgot to mention this on Big Ricky's interview. We were arguing, right? And I'd done that with. I was holding a dishcloth, and I'd done that, psh, and seen snapped it, like, and it hit him right in the eye. I whacked him. I seen it. It was like a bullseye. It was as if it hit him right in the pupil, and he just went bang and just punched me right in my glasses. Can I? like, went right into the bridge of my nose, and it was just, like, for 0 to 16, 0.2 seconds, man, and I just went all that ragey way, and um, the two are just, I was attacking him, but it was as if he was trying to get away from me, and um, there was a fire extinguisher on the wall, and I grabbed it, man, and I was just whacking him with it, and, like, basically trying to do as much damage in as small space of time, and the woman was just screaming, screaming like as if she'd seen the worst thing she's ever seen in her life um, and um, he's pulled away from me and got round the table and he's got like a cup he just threw it man and it's just smashed right over my head right and it's cut my head open and then but the, the, she's obviously hit the riot bell and then um, when she's hit the riot bell um, the staff of all just came busting through the door because it tells them where to go as you'll probably know yourself um, tells them what part of the, the institution to go to and then they've all just bent me up and they took me to hospital to get like three stitches in my head but um, after that I wasn't allowed to go into the home, ec- home economics class the cooking class or the the tech class because they had sharpies because um i was basically uttering threats every two seconds like i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna kill him but i, I couldn't stop thinking about hurting him i just couldn't stop doing it and they would anytime he was moving they would lock me in a room and then get him to whatever part of the institution he was going to so that i would never walk into him but um just it was just a just one of these small small things that I just blew way out of proportion, man, when I look back on it. But, like, I was 16 at the time, and I don't think there was many people I wouldn't have let hurt if they had done something for, that, in my mind, warranted a response, you know? Um, 
crazy, man. So then you absconded? No, that... So the thing that I was telling you about was before that, but um, because of my self-creation, my self-presentation in KLO, right? Because I'm not going to lie, like, it was based on this kind of presenting myself as, like, this kind of... I'm going to grow up to be the kiddie, the top man, or that crap, right? Which we're still seeing today with youths, right? It's a big party, everybody, or a lot of people who are doing time. And um, because I was doing that much, kind of, and that many incidents in there, they were saying, you would never last in Palmer, you would never last there, you would get beaten up, you wouldn't be the man. And I'm like, and I said, well, put me in for a move then. So we had a meeting with the 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 Scottish offices, it's called, um, and they were like, "You want to go to Palmer Mosenji?" So basically, um, my brother and my cousin had been assaulted by these like rivals we we have, right? We had back then, and I but your phone calls on the monitor, so I was on the phone to my brother, like, "I'm coming up to my grand's tomorrow, be there, and we'll sneak out and we'll go and bust a few of them if we see them, right?" We'll just go hunting, and he's like, right, cool. So um, the next day, we drove up to Pullman, me and two members of staff, right? And they showed us around. I don't know if they were trying to kind of turn me off or turn me on, I don't know, but <laughs> whatever way you look at it. And what was meant to happen is they'd take me to see my grandma after this, and then the next day I was supposed to be admitted to Pullman. But what happened was... On the way back from Pullman, they took me to my grand's in the area that I'm in right now, right? And um, we, we went into the house, and um, I just basically walked right out the front door with my brother after, like, 10 minutes, right? And just ran to another area of Canvas Lang, where was on the other side of the park, but they brought the royal friends, right? So we went down there, rounded up a couple of the boys, and then went to a house and got drunk. But it was kind of grey and overcast and started raining, right? So I'm like, I'd been drinking and smoking cannabis. So by that point, I just was enjoying the fact that I was, like, high for the first time in God knows how long, right? So I'm, like, 16. So um, me and my pal and his girlfriend were walking back to my friend's house, right? So we're walking through the park. Now, this is a big park. It's pitch black. There's no lights inside it. And we can see a, a helicopter. This is the winter. This is like November 1998, right? There's a helicopter above the air, my area, right? But I'm looking and I'm going, I never in a million years thought that was for me. Never in a million years, right? So we go up to my, my friend's house and there was nobody home. So he lives in a ground floor. But there was like a kind of balcony with a door and he's he's kicked his own door in and we went in his house, right? So we're sitting getting drunk and his dad showed up, right? And he's like, If you if you if you escaped and they say escaped, but it's absconding, there's a difference. I didn't do an El Chapo and turn it out or anything, you know. So um I remember I remember hearing this noise, right? And it sounded like a walkie talkie, like crackling the static, and I'm just sitting like that was weird. Then all felt both, right? And my pal's dad, right? He, get, I, I still laugh thinking about this, right? He got up to open the living room door, right? Because it's a big long hallway between the living room and the front door. 
and all I heard, don't ever move, don't ever move, stay where you are, stay where you are, put your hands where we can see them. The guy actually went down and one of his legs buckled, right? I remember seeing that. The guy looked like he was crapping it, right? Which didn't make me feel too good, right? And But, like, name, name everybody in the house, right? <laughs> so, my pal, my pal who I was with, right? He's looked at the, the front living room window, mate. I, I'm not going to lie, I didn't even want to look at the window because I didn't really... I was quite happy being in my bubble, my drunken bubble, right? And he's looking at me and he goes, Chris, man, they've, they've called in the street after they've got... They had all the, the body armour and the helmets with the stuff and the shields and guns and everything. And I'm like, you're kidding me, man. So when he went through all the names in the house, his, his wee brother was actually in the house as well. And the wee guy actually mailed me the other day when he, we saw my own Ricky's talking about it. He's like, I remember that. I was only 10. Right? I was like, jeez, man. So they said... Um, Tell Chris Mc when he, he said my name last, and they said tell Chris McPherson to come to the door, and and my pal just looked at me as if how am I going to get you to this? But it's, well, that was the way I took it. But <laughs> there was no way you to this man. Wish you had a, a teleporter. So <laughs> I've walked to the front door, right, and I could just see cops, right, in black, all this stuff, and they're like turn around, to, right. So I had to turn my back to them, like put your hands like this. And then walk slowly towards us, but back the way. And I, mate, I was, I've never walked that slow in my life, man. I was just take my time because I thought I'm not getting any of them any excuse to do anything, right? So when I got to the front door, I had to go down a step, like a step with the front door step, right? And as I stepped down, they started pressing right into me with the shields, right? Like squashing me, and then pinned me against the, the wall and the, the the kind of the stairwell and um cuffed is behind me and they put my head and i don't know if it's a stress position but um they marched me into the street put me in the van right and they get in the van with them on they made me sit like in a fetal position and i actually found out later on from one of the members of staff in keller that somebody had said that i was going to commit a violent offense so that was the reason for that kind of response. Um, so we drove to a police station on the south side of Glasgow. And when they opened the back door, see the whole car park? It was just a sea of cops, like a sea of cops, man. Easily 20 cops, 25 cops all standing there. Um, and basically I'd found out later on that everybody in that police station got told because they thought I was going to hurt somebody that all oh, leave is cancelled till we get this nugget. Aye, <laughs> uh, um, I, I get time added on for that. <laughs> what was the situation with Billy? Oh, <laughs> so after I've gone to uh, Pullman, I get put in a part of the, the jail. It was called Rannock Call. So it was like under 18s halls, boys at 16, boys that would, maybe wouldn't do too well and um, the kind of the more wilder parts of the jail. So we're playing FIFA, FIFA 98, right? And he's just scoring these goals. Like he's rapid at it, but he's just taking the piss out me, right? And he's doing like these flicks and like magician stuff, right? But he keeps doing it and he's beating me like 25-0. And every goal he scores, I'm just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. 
And then, but it was a tournament. It was like a Christmas tournament or something. And <laughs> he just, he just demolished me. And then I've just threw the control down and went, shouted something in his face. And he's just jumped up to his feet. And I've just been like off, off man, and just hooked him and um, started fighting with him. Um, and actually, I'm not even going to lie, right? He wasn't even, I don't even think this boy had even, I don't even know what he was in for, but he wasn't, he was one of the more critical types. So see, like if I said something like, oh, well done you for beating him up, he would have been critical of that. So he was probably one of the more mature boys in there. I think he was like 20 and I was like 16. But I just wasn't, I just wasn't listening. So um, I poked him in the eye with my thumb and then a screw, a screws grabbed me and on. I thought it was a cop, one of the young offenders, but and I pulled his legs away from him. And then I got, I got put in report for that, right? So I got days off wreck, right? But he was next door to me. He was like right in the next cell. And I used to sit and chap his wall all night and just annoy him, right? Because we didn't have TVs back then. It was just radios or books or whatever. So after coming back from the order room, I'm off wreck, right? The next night. And the screws going along, unopening all the doors, right? And he's unlocked my door by mistake. But I thought it was a trap. I'm like, they're trying to lure me into something here. So I've, I've peeked out and I'm looking up and down the landing, right? And I've realised they've unlocked me by mistake. So I went and got a, 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 a an empty iron brew bottle and I urinated in it, right? And I walked into his cell and I pulled back his duvet cover and I just poured the bottle on his... um. His, his mattress, his sheet, his bed sheet, pulled the covers back, went in and just kicked my door shut. So I'm lying back on the bed, right? And then all I hear is like a mad, like when everybody's went back from wreck, I've waited, say it was five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, I can't remember the time. And then I've just heard screaming and <laughs> it, it reported, it, it, it said somebody's done something to my bed, but the, the screw came back and checked my door, right? But the door was locked, obviously, because I'd kicked it shut straight away. And I'm just sitting there with my book, like, mm, <laughs> like the Grinch. <laughs> but um, I didn't get a report or accused it, but um, I, so I was just kind of, this is, this is the dumb shit I was doing. I just, I had absolutely no qualms about just being a, an idiot. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organised crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the Mafia's past, present and future. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Michael Francis, the original Goodfella, as he exclusively sits down with myself, Sean Atwood. With me as the host, there's going to be a no-holes-barred exploration of Michael Francis's life, including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, 
making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive In Conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers. So, what had happened in Kale Law had basically ended up happening in Rannock Hall in Pullman. Basically, what was happening was... um, the staff due to my self presentation and the way I was trying to carry myself were saying you wouldn't be the big man in the main part of the jail and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, Well, send me to the main part. And they try at first they tried to kind of talk me out of it. I don't know why, but I was just adamant that I had to go right. So I went to Nevis Hall, right, which was more back then, this was like nineteen ninety nine. So this was like a more long-term hall then. And there was boys there I knew and all this kind of stuff. And um, what had ended up happening, I remember there was a guy in there um, who had been stealing, had been captured stealing phone cards, right? And there was this kind of plot to to bust him. So um, he was in the corner of the rec room and um, behind the snooker table. And um, he got stabbed, and then he ran. A couple of guys have hit him jabs, and then when, he, when I've hit my jab, right, he's ran past me, right, <laughs> and then just started picking up all the pool balls, right. I swear to God, I've never moved so fast in my life, right, because I'm not the, the speed, right, and because of how dense they are, right. But he didn't, he didn't get as many of them. So anyway, what ended up happening was. There was a lock, what you call a lock-up situation, right? Full holes shut down because there's been a violent incident, right? Where a, especially where a weapon's been used. It's not just a fight. So, um, where I, went, I remember going into the toilet. To, I can't remember what I was stashing, but I went into the toilet and there was like maybe six or seven guys there putting stuff down their soaps, banking stuff, and I'm like, this is just mental. So um, the full hole was locked down. And this the the CID from Falkirk came into the prison to to interrogate the whole hall. Not just a perfunctory interrogation. It wasn't like three hours, six days, like a real one, right? So, um, it's came my turn to go down, and um, they're like, "Do you know Mister X?" Say the guy's name Sean Atwood, right? And Sean Atwood's my best pal in there, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I've never heard of that boy, but I'm saying it really. Like, must have been quite convincing, but they're like, they, they already know the answers to the questions they're asking you. They're just asking you to see what your answer's going to be, to see if it differs for the narrative, right? So um, they're like, we'll be speaking to you later. We'll be asking to see you again. And I, But I, this was just totally inflating my ego, I felt. Like, the spotlight's on me, yeehaw. But I was just a pure, complete idiot. When you're doing anything in prison or outside of prison, you don't want the spotlight on you, do you know what I mean? So when I'm walking back up the stairs to my section, there was a there was a member of staff that said to me, I know you were one of the ones involved in that, and I know who the other ones are. And they said the other four boys' names. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, go and prove it, Sherlock. Just a quip, like, I was smart. So 
I must have been getting on the nerves of these kind of mem- a couple of members of staff because what ended up happening was we were all being unlocked. It might have been a section at a time. I don't know. I can't really remember because how long ago it was, right? And um, what had ended up happening was he was being quite... He, he, this guy looked like he was just looking for a confrontation. He's a prison officer, right? So one of the guys in my section ended up coming up to me and said, he's telling people, watch watch him when he's speaking to the cops. I think he might be, you never know, and like try to plant seeds. And the guy says to me, says, says, you know, nobody believes him. He says, but like, we'll be surprised if you don't do nothing. <laughs> I don't know if he's just want to see something happen or whatever. So I was like, I was like, right, watch this then. So I went down to the rec room and I filled up a flask because you didn't have kettles back then. It was flasks, right? I filled up with boiling water and I walked back past the office, right? And I walked away up into my section, then walked into my cell and I heard them going, he shouted my name and said, get that effing tray down here. So see the dining trays, you see them in America, the wee compartments? He's been shouting on me to bring that down to the office. And I says, because I knew he would have took the bait. And I was like, effing get up here yourself and get it. So he's walked away up, right? But I'm standing at the back of the cell. It was kind of... I'm not going to lie, I was I was a bit scared, right? I'm like maybe 16, 17, and I've just told these 21-year-olds I'm about to throw boiling water over a screw. I'm going to scold him, do this, do that. So rather than stand right on the edge of the, the cell door and just douse him, I've stood up the back of the cell, kind of. It's not a really big cell, but it's maybe, what, five, five feet away or something? Six feet maybe, tops, six tops, right? And he's got to the front door and I'm standing like, ah, see, like, h- holding it like, what you effing saying now? And he's like, oh, can you not take a joke? Can you not take a joke? And I was like, that wasn't a joke. But he's, he's reached up to grab the door handle and yank it shut. And I've just threw it. I'm just like, effort, man, I'm here now. I'm committed. And then, like, because of, of the size of the, the hole on the flask, it's not like a bucket of water or a jug, do you know what I mean? But it would just go everywhere. It, it's it's not going to come out that good. So, like, there was, like, maybe a wee bit got me, like, here, right? So I've just heard them going, lock up! And then I, I'm like, oh, no, I've done it now, man. And then I heard this other screw going, what's up? And he's like, that wee effing bee just threw boiling water at me there. So I've heard all the doors slamming shut, and I'm like, oh, no, man. So I'm just like, F this, man. And I'd been brewing hooching myself, right, at the time. So I started throwing it all over the walls and pulling it all over the floors, just making it as slippery as hell and throwing shower gel everywhere and trying to smash the sink off the wall. And I had a mop pole, a metal mop pole, right, and I just smashed, see the spy hole? It was like a glass spy hole, see, like that. And I've just smashed it all in, right? So... I'm sitting there waiting, man, and everybody's shouting on me like, yeah, man, you're, you're mad and all that. And I'm like, I'm about to get, I'm about to get the receipt, but <laughs> I'm about to get a check <laughs> after the screws. And then, oh, I felt the, <coughs> see, like the boots. And I'm like, oh, no, man, right. I, I was kind of, but see, because I'd been through it maybe once or twice before, I was just like, no, what, man? <laughs> Not I mean, I thought I was a 17-year-old man. And then, They've lifted the spy hole up and they're like, put the mop pole down, put the mop pole down. We don't, we just want to walk you down to this egg. That's that, aye, that old trick. And what did I do? Put the mop pole down, didn't I? 
and they've opened the door, man, and he's just ran and just done that. Boff! Just punched me right off the wall, man. <laughs> and um, I've just decked it, right? But I've started rolling about the floor with him. Like, I wasn't trying to throw punches. I was just, like, trying to, like, heat lock them and all that shit. And um, they've just bent me up like a pretzel, man. Like, just totally... There was no there was no effort to that because they were all suited and booted as well. Do you know they wouldn't have felt anything if I had to try to hurt them? So um they carted me down to the, the, the digger, but I'll give every single cop every single young offender their due in that hall. So I don't know if, if you know about this, right? See when they're removing somebody like that, everybody kicks their doors as a form of protest. And it's really, really noisy. It's like banging drums. It's because it's metal doors, and everybody's like banging hell at the doors. And um, that got me through that. And there was like older boys for like Poso, like mere established young offenders, all shouting abuse at the doors and everything. And um, I got took to the segregation unit, and um, he was threatening me. They were pulling the hairs in my ulster, my armpits. They were pulling the hairs in my chest, and um, like. See, like, because they these big, really thick black gloves on, and they were like, see, like, like, as if they were trying to smother me, but they weren't really just trying to make me think they were doing that. And um, a nurse came down and she was like, um, do, you, do you have any injuries? And I was like, that scumbag just done X, Y, and Z. And he was like, um, I can't, he said something quite like, nobody cares or something. Who's going to believe it? And you say or something. But anyway, he, what ended up happening was he'd done something similar to somebody else months later after this, and I think he got removed from his post. But um, it's what I said before, you can't be playing both sides of the fence. If you're working in the prison, man, it's a dangerous dangerous line, you know. Um, but that wasn't was too smart. I didn't get charged or anything, but um, somebody from headquarters came in to speak to me, and they was like, um, I want to talk to you about this officer and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fine, would you want to know? And they came back and spoke to me six months later. And I says, do you think I'm lying? And he says, no, do you know how? And I says, why? And he says, Your te- the statements you've gave me is almost verbatim, like three, four months apart. So that was that. So what's Carstairs? Oh, that's like Scotland's version of Broadmoor. Mm-hmm. So um, I, didn't, I didn't mention that in Ricky's channel. Um <laughs> I just kind of, I wanted people to kind of see what I'm like before I started kind of telling people about that. So basically because of the, the things that I was saying to like the mental health professionals in Pullman, things like, um, they would ask me like, how do you feel about a member of staff doing that to you? And I'd be like, I would do anything to help that guy. And I was, I was getting graphic, right? I was basically giving them a, the rope to hang me with. There's no doubt about that. And um, I was saying things like I was having dreams about hurting that member of staff and just quite graphic. I don't really want to kind of say the things that I was really, what I was saying about it. But um, if it, I, I do believe at that time if it was within my means to, to, to act on it without being punished, then there's probably a high chance that I would do it because I was that vengeful back then. Um, so... What ended up happening was I got called to see the shrink one day in Pullman and they says to me, um, you've, got, you've got to the state hospital next week and this is unheard of in Pullman to be going there. That's like um, that's like getting certified. 
And um, so I was going there for an assessment, like, to see, is this guy <laughs> in possession of his marbles or whatever? So ended up, um, I went up there and I remember the date was the fr- Friday, the 23rd of June, 2000. So this is a week before my 18th birthday. I got sent there, right? And I wasn't like really thinking, I wasn't bored. I just thought I'm enhancing my reputation because, as I said to you before, I was I was kind of thinking like I'm doing a chinjigante here. I'm gonna play the cuckoo and they're gonna let me out and then I'll just sit and kid on on my dummy and then they'll let me back out early and it'll just bolster my reputation even more. Right? This is this was my because I was reading psychiatric textbooks for the answers to certain questions and like I was being really really wily about it. So I went up there, and um, there was this guy that came in, right? He was from Sweden, right? And um, nobody would speak to him because one of the other guys there, a guy for Apostle, right? He said to me, don't talk to him. I was in Berlin with him. He's in for a naughty charge, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm 18 year old. Like, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have needed an excuse to kind of do anything to him. So... When he's trial, so he would walk about, he would cry, he would burst into tears for no reason. He, would, he, he was in his 30s, say he was 38, this guy, right? I'm 18. He'd walk around pool tables crying and sit in the corner crying and, like, I'm just looking at him like, he's a strange fish. So anyway, his trial started, right? And then he's walking about like he was the man. He was walking about like the Teflon Don, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, who does he think he is, right? So... I said to this other boy, I was like, we're busting him. He's just getting on my nerves, right? So we planted it this day, right? And um, But it's not like prison in here. Everywhere you go, you're monitored. Like, they take you everywhere. It's not like, oh, they're the shower. Just are going, you can hide in cells. They go everywhere with you, right? So we were following him about. And we're trying to catch him at a time when we'd get him maybe a, a 60 seconds of just bashing him and nothing was happening. So he walked into the room one day and he said to this guy, there was only me and this other guy in the room, right? And he walked in and said to this guy, see if you stole a car in Sweden and then went to Scotland and stole a car, would you get the same sentence? Now the first thing that came into my head when he said that is he's done this type of thing before, but he's substituted stealing the car for what he was actually in for. So I'm like, oh, I'm definitely giving him it now. So said to us, our boy, um, told him what he said. And so he walked past us and the boy I was with, he said something. And he walked over and they done that. I'll peel the flesh from your body. See the way he said it. I'm not going to lie, Sean. My blood curdled. It was as if I, I was like, he's, he's been doing stuff like this before. I just, I just got a feeling, right? And I was like, nah, we're giving him it, man. So, cut a long story short, he's went into the smoker's room and there was only one other guy there just sitting smoking, you know what I mean? And um, Bob just walked in and uh, the boy, I was way big, tall boy, six foot, do you know what I mean? But I was just saying to him, we're giving him it. <laughs> and we walked in and he said something to him, ah, you got to peel my skin off. I both just hooked him and I, there's this big kind of coffee table and I've just like just lifted it up at both ends and just went bang and just crashed it right down on his skull and then the twos have just jumped on top of him and started like laying into him and then next thing man I just 
got rugby tackled by a this guy must have been like a quarterback or whatever. Like this guy was like the side of a house and just rugby tackled me right off him. And I had a big carpet burning in my face and they've hit the alarm, all the staff came running and they've bent me up, see the wrist locks and um, they've carted me to a, a cell and just hooked me with the liquid cosh and next thing I know, they've held me there but until it's took effect and they were flexing my wrist so that the blood, the, I, I would still feel the pain in my wrist, they were flexing my, my hands, right? <laughs> um, and... This was all. This all links back to the way I was presenting myself because they said that we run this place. No, you kid. No, I mean I was eighteen. Think I was forty eight. And um, next thing when the when the things took effect, they've carried me like an arm and a leg, carried me back to my cell and just flung me in the bed. It's not even a cell. It's like a room in the holiday, and it actually looks like that. And uh, I just remember drifting into a consciousness all night and. Couldn't write letters for about three weeks because the state my wrist were in. Like, like it was like I had to use like three lines on a A4 sheet of paper. It was like it looked like a, a ransom note. <laughs> the way my writing was, it was mm. oh geez, man. But just this is the way I was back then. I was just a total idiot, man. When they concerned for my own safety or anybody else's, you know. So next, there was an incident with scissors. Oh, so um. After that, the time I was telling you about, I got sent back to Pullman from the state hospital. Like, oh, he's not mad. He's just bad. One of the ones, right? So I went back to Pullman and I got out on Friday the 6th of October 2000, right? And um, started kind of getting up to, like, finding my feet. And then that was me back to doing what I was doing. I remember one night I was sitting with my brother. And, like, back in the day, like, my brother could really... He could really handle himself, um, and he used to totally beat the crap out of me as a kid. Like, I mean, I was really scared of him, right? I'm not going to lie, but it, no anymore, you know what I mean? But anyway, um, we were arguing one night, and we started fighting, and um, he chased me with a, a table leg or something. We'd been drinking, obviously, right? And he chased me at my grand's house with a table leg, and saying he was going to do X, Y, and Z, and I was just like, man, I'm going to kill you, mate. And I snuck back in the, the house when he was sitting watching the TV, and he, he just wouldn't turn his back on me, and I think he knew something was about to happen, right? And um, he's like, come on, I need to go to the shop or something. And we walked out of the house, and I had a pair of scissors, and I grabbed him with it. I said something to him, and he went to go for me, and I grabbed him with the, with the collar, and I actually... Um, stabbed him in the back of the neck with a pair of scissors and um, he just got up and ran and do you know I told my parole officer about that the next day I was that guilt ridden I told him um, I just I just I was like listen, I felt that bad my stomach even though he'd beat the crap out of me for years um, I just still my stomach was still heavy do you know and I didn't get recalled for it but um that was just one in a long line of incidents, you know. So what was the window incident in New Year 2001? Um, so there, there was like other incidents all happening, like kind of close together. So New Year 2000, get into 2001, um, I was 
I was out kind of, my, I think my friends had all went to the Archies or something, right? Which is, a, that was a kind of popular nightclub back in the day in Glasgow. Don't know if you ever heard it, right? So they came back and we had a house party in my friend's house, right? And then I left to go home. But after I left, they had ended up fighting with these other guys. And um, But I, I wasn't there and I didn't know anything about it. And then... As I was sitting in my own house, my, my own house, looked, my kitchen window looked onto my pal's living room window. And I don't know why I looked at the um, the the living room, uh, the, the my kitchen, sorry. And I just seen these boys putting bricks through my, my friend's front living room window and running away, right? So I ran back to my friend's house and just... Like was like ah here they've just put so and so's windows in and everybody just bounced to life. They were all lying like bus couches, but as soon as I said that, everybody just sprang to life, man. Like come on, we've got a mission. <laughs> and um, so we've all ran back out, right? And we've ran to this place where they were, and they've come down with hammers and baseball bats, and there was just this big street bar, there, man. And one of them get like stabbed right here, like right in the face, um. Just, it was it was carnage, man. And so I was out in license at this point, right? So I'd only been out of prison three months or something. So I, I was kind of dicing with my freedom. And um, we've all congregated in my friend's house. See, my friend whose windows went in, who stays like out, out, the back, out my back. So I was like, at him. He, he, so he, his mum's phoned this big takeaway, right? I was like, I'm going up to my house to get something. I was going up to get a knife and a hammer, right? So that there was stuff lying about in case MD came back. So I walks out his front, at the front of his building, walks across to the back of my building, goes up the stairs, gets a hammer and a kitchen knife, right? Put one up that sleeve, one up that sleeve. So the, 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 the handle of the knife sticking out this sleeve and the, the, the claws sticking out here, right? And I'm walking back to his house. And there's a staircase at the stairs at the side of his building. And see, just as I've got to his front garden, two uniformed cops have walked up the stairs and looked right at me. And I'm like, shit. So I've I've just I've, I was just acting cool as shit, man. And I'm like, I've just walked in the front of the building. I've just went and just let them fly out my 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 jacket. I don't know why I didn't just walk in the house and just sit down because they wouldn't have captured me. But I'm just like Jesus Christ, man. Um, and a couple of my pals actually went on trial for that. Um, but I remember when I was in the high court, right? I was sitting in the high court, and there was a CID guy giving evidence because I was in the house when the CID came to arrest everybody, but they didn't take me for some reason. And um, I'm sitting in the public gallery, right? Um. And the CID guy was getting evidence, and the prosecutors said, "So when when you went to the house, who was all there?" And he named all the people, say six, seven people. No, one of the guys on trial for it was wanted for other violent offences, right? And they just caught up to him. So the prosecutor was trying to lead him, and he saying, "Like he said to the guy, did any name stand out to you?" Thinking he's going to say the guy in the dock, and he said, "Yeah." And he said, "What name was that?" And the guy said, "My name." And I just done that, shh, and I just turned around, and there was this big cop sitting right behind me, like, like as if, <laughs> and I was like, that oh, man, and I, I don't know how I didn't get recalled for that, um, but 
I was just it was just a roulette wheel. It was like a big roulette wheel, and every time I'm the laws the wheel, and I'm the the violent act is the ball, and I'm just throwing it to see where it lands. And if I got lucky, I get lucky, and if I didn't, I didn't. You know. What other crazy situations were there before the recall? So, um, I, so this is when I was really, really at the height of my kind of violent behaviour. So I remember one night I was in my pal's house, right? Now they were older than me. I'm like 18, 19 or something. And they were in their 20s. So it, was a, it was a couple. So they had left to go and get whatever they were going to get, right? And I'm I'm boozing. And I did a few few of the, the disco biscuits, right? And I'm sitting listening to Marshall Mathers LP, remember it, right? And um sitting like that. My my first mobile phone, right? Motorola, like that size, right? And I'm sitting in my, my Motorola's went and it was two boys, right? Two boys I hung about with, like, Chris, we are fighting with the such the the hangway mob. And I'm like, Where are where are you? And he's like, We're outside and he named the building that he was outside and I was like, I'm in that building right now. I'll be doing the now. So what I done was I was I was high as a kite mate, I was out my box, right? So and this is this is quite telling. So I didn't have the keys to this house. And there was like three intercom doors to get past to get in back into the house. So I'm like, right, how am I going? How am I going to circumvent this? Like, right, I, I put the the you know how the the Yale lock you you pull it and you push a wee button down and it holds it open. Pulled the door over, put my mob jam my mobile phone in the landing door, went down the lift, went down the elevator, walked right out into the 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 street, and saw these three older boys right for this area where i didn't really get on with anybody and like they would have they would have totally uh, they would have done me in if they'd have got a, a hold of me right and i walked out and we just attacked them and um there was like everything you can think of man like it was it was just like a mad brawl and um one of the people um who was in that fight somebody stabbed them or chopped them with like cleavers and there was like um somebody somebody like I was I'm, I was so I was so up man up I was like a, a Tasmanian devil man I was just it was like super strength I've never had it like that before it must have it was the drugs and the drink obviously do you know what I mean but um one of the when 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 one of the guys had been chopped I ran back to the house the house that I was dad came out of and this cop, right, this cop ran into the building behind me and said, you stop. And I turned around and I didn't know. I had blood all over my face, right? And he's like, what the hell was going on over there? And I was like, oh, nothing. I was just leaving my auntie's house to go back up to my girlfriend's. And all these guys started fighting. I got hit in the head with a brick, but I'm, I don't really want to press charges. It's fine. And he's like, right, all right then. And he didn't take my name. He didn't ask me who I was or didn't hold me or nothing. And I went back up the elevator, went back in the house and sat down and kept listening to the Marshall Matters LP. And see, they get, and I'd done all this while this guy and woman were doing what they were doing, right? 
and they, they came back in and the, the lassie's just done that. <gasps> what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, what? I didn't. She's like, go and look in the mirror. And I had blood splattered on my face and didn't know. And <sighs> the cops were crawling over, over, over the place after that. Um, and I eventually got charged. But, um, and then, so, no long after that, right, um, I started going with this lassie. And she was telling me, this guy keeps harassing her for money, right? This addict, right? And she told me his name, right? And I remembered him when I was like 10, 12. He took money off me, my brother, right? Like, and I'm like, what? Him? And back in the day when I was a kid, like, I remember people talking about him like they were scared of him, right? Him and his brother. So that house I just told you about, I was in that house, right? And my best pal, um... He was looking at the kitchen window, right? So there was me, my best pal, and our two girlfriends, right? And he's come running in like, so-and-so's down there, so-and-so's down there. And I'm like, what? So we've got our trainers on, and I had like this mad knuckle duster, right? And we got to the elevator, and he's like, wait the now, do you have that knuckle duster? And I'm like, no, why? And he says, oh, because I wasn't going if you had that. And I, I did have it. So we went to the bottom of the building and walked out. And he just looked at the two as he didn't know who I was. And my pal went to grab him and he just started running, right? And I could actually run back then, right? I'm like 19, man, and I chased him. And <laughs> he tried to run down a flight of stairs. But see, when he got to the bottom step, he just went flying. And I ran down the stairs and I grabbed him. So he's like, I'm like 19. He was in his 20s, mid to late 20s, right? And I done that to my pal, get down here and hold him, get down here and hold him, just to hold him in place, to do what I have to do. And my pal came running down and when my pal grabbed a hold of him, um, I took my knuckle duster and just started like, just caving his head in like an Easter egg man. And his brother came running out of some building and I just started chasing him as well and cut a long story short. I left him bleeding in the middle of a, a road. And we went back up to the house that I was in with my girlfriend and my friend and his girlfriend. And we just started drinking again as if nothing had happened. And um, my pal was looking at the window going, Chris, there's ambulances, there's cops down there, there's everything. And I was like, we'll drink up then because we're going to jail. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then um, nothing happened about that. But And then a um, couple of months later, um, I went up. So my pal that I'm telling you about, I went up to his house one day and he wasn't in, right? So I was, st- I was with his wee brother, my pal, and I've walked out the building and I've saw these three boys, these three guys the same age as me, right? One of them was the guy that I caught in the garden and the other, there was another one who was my cousin's friend. I had totally no issues with this boy at all, right? And then the other one was like, what's happened is I had the knuckle dust on my pocket, right? This is no word of a lie, right? I walked out and I saw them standing along the road and I started whistling that tune, see the good, the bad and the ugly. I started whistling that, walking towards them and they've all just done that and looked at me, right? And there was one of them, the boy I wanted to to beat up, right? Um, I said to him, what's this I'm hearing you were looking for me with a hatchet? somebody told me this, I don't even know if it was true or no, but see, instead of answering me, he didn't answer me, he just walked in the house, right? So I'm thinking he's he's not coming back out, but he came back out and he had 
a kitchen knife, a hammer, and a pickaxe pole, right? So I'm like, here we go, man. High noon at the OK Corral, you know what I mean? So he's walked out the fence, right? So like the 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 building's bound by an iron railing fence. It's like quite common in a lot of kind of um, council houses up here. So rather than walking straight up the path towards me, he's walked round a parked car. But I've got my hands in my pockets, clenched round this knuckle dust. I'm like, soon as you get within striking distance, man, I'm just going to hit you a belt on me. And he's, he's he's walking like this, right? He was walking like this, but I'm just standing like, and then. He had and he showed me the hammer and the dart. What you effing gonna do with that, yeah, bum? And he just done this, right? But see when he's raised his hand, I've just went Shh, and went to run at him. So he's ran back to where his two pals were, and then one of the other boys, he's came running it with the with the pickaxe pole and started chasing me. So I'm like, Shh, I'm running away up the street. But as I'm running, I turns around to see if how close he was. And as I turned around, he swung it at me, right? But it was like that away, it was like that away for connecting. And see when he swung his arm around there, right? I timed it as it he's got his arm around there, I put the brakes on, and I just turned around and just started going boom, 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 boom. And the twos were just scrapping, right? Just scrapping. So he's dropped the pickaxe pole, right? And see when he's dropped it, see the guy with the hammer? He put his hammer down and picked up this pickaxe pole and just went bang, 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 started whacking me full force on the back of the head, right? And I had to go to hospital and get my head stapled shut and on about three places. Um, so I, I just, I was like, I'm going to kill them. I could not stop thinking about them. Remember, I'm out in license at the time, right? So I'm like, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, man. I, I, I'm not going to lie, Sean. These two guys were on my mind for the minute I opened my eyes in the morning to the minute I closed my eyes at night, right? Just, it was the rage and the hatred keeping me awake, like, keeping me going, right? So, a week after this has happened, um, basically, my brother was drinking in my cousin's house, and one of them came in, because they were friendly with my cousin. But my brother came down to my area, and he says, so-and-so's in my cousin's house. And we, I had a scream mask, and the robe, and the hood, and I was going to put it on. And my brother done that. No, he says, don't, don't, don't go in with that one. He says, someday you'll, you'll give somebody a heart attack. And I thought, well, no, it, it was being serious. Like, I was like, well, do you know what, man? So we've walked in the house and they were standing, cooking. Like, they'd been drinking or smoking weed or something. I don't know. And um, I just walked in and I took a kitchen knife at the drawer and just me and my brother just kept giving it to him and... But I'll give the boy his due, right? I get recalled for that, but I'll give that boy his due. He just, he wouldn't speak to the cops, didn't give a statement, and he didn't show up for court. But other people did, so they didn't need him, do you know what I mean? But um, I was done banking rights, and I got recalled for that, and uh, went back to Pullman, do you know what I mean? But, um, so, Chris, so Chris <laughs> by, this, by this time, had you developed a fascination with American gangsters? Well, since I was a kid, right, I started off with Roald Dahl books, right? Roald Dahl, all I used to read was Roald Dahl books, and then because my dad went to school with the son of a guy who was quite notorious in Glasgow in the 60s, right? Um, and I remember my dad telling me 
about this guy, Jimmy Boyle, his name was, and then my dad telling me about the Cray twins and all that. So my brother was right into it, and I ended up getting into it. And then it went from there to reading about like John Gotti, um, and all, all that, all that, all that mob. Um, like um, I remember the first time I'd ever heard of John Gotti, I was like ten years old, right? I bought a book about him, and I just thought. That guy's everything I aspire to be. And I don't know if it was because I'd also seen Goodfellas run about this time, right? Which I watched every day for about three years. Um, and I read the book um, Wise Guy by Nick Pelleggi, who's a well-known New York journalist. So, um, and that book had actually come out before Gotti was Gotti. Do you get me? Gotti was just like, up and coming when that book came out, so, um, and he's actually mentioned in it as well, so, um, yeah, I don't care who you are, right, in life, everybody has somebody when they're growing up, so it's part, when you're going through an identity, right, you're building your identity as a teenager, as a young man, whatever, right, so, everybody, and I don't care if you deny it or you don't, but, everybody's got somebody they want to be. So say you're obsessed with playing football, right? And every single day of your life, right, you're kicking a ball around the playground, you're kicking a ball about out in the street. Who do, who do you think you're going to be reading about and watching on TV? Ronaldo, Zidane, who's flavour of the month? Messi, whoever, right? So for me, I wanted to be somebody with power, money, like thumbing my nose at cops like you can't catch me but you know it was me or that crap right um and like being able to walk into restaurants and like getting took to the front of the line because it's just another thing we just let him in just don't you showing you that respect right so as i said i was totally spellbound when i first seen that film and i was just like holy crap man like that is the way forward and um, the funny thing is, as I was saying on Ricky's channel, right? See, when you go into um, the long, especially long term prisons in Scotland, right? We're allowed posters, like posters to hang on the wall. See, every single person with a movie poster, it's Goodfellas, it's The Godfather, or um, what was the other one? Scarface, right? And I did love the movie Scarface, but I didn't look at I didn't look at Tony Montana is the guy to be. I looked at Sosa. Sosa was the guy to be because in the film, he's the guy that sends people up to deal with him. Do you know what I mean? So everybody would be like, "Oh, Tony Montana, Tony Montana." I'd be like, "No, mate. He he was a he was like a a bishop or a knight in that whole chessboard. You want to be the king on the board? Do you know? So I'm. Just, but do you know what? I was just so I was I was I was showing out so much that. I would have been a liability in that life, man, you know? Um, I would I would have just been like um ugh, I would have just been a cop magnet, you know. So I'm and I'm glad that I never got on that path um to to end up like that because who's to say I would be sitting here talking to you just now? I would probably be dead doing life or in a in a shallow grave somewhere. You know what I mean? What's cr- what, what's crazy is when I told you that I'm hosting Michael Francis in Glasgow. I think it, what is it March? 
um april april <laughs> april, april. Yep. um you told me you'd already you'd already studied him when you was a kid and all this stuff i was like wow so basically um as i told you right so the first time i'd ever heard about michael francis was um i was younger than my son i've got a 12 year old son so the first time i'd ever heard michael francis's name was when I was living in Hastings and I bought this book about John Gotti, right? It wasn't about Michael Franzese, but Michael Franzese was mentioned and so was his dad, right? So obviously if I was living in the New York area, these guys were in the papers every other day, but because there was no, no really, the internet hadn't taken off back then. So the only way you would hear about them is if there was like a wee bit in the paper like that size or there was a book or a movie, right? So... I read that, this book, right, by er Ernest Volkman, his name is. I think he's a reporter for the New York Daily News or something, right? Um, he's wrote a few books about the New York crime scene. And um, and then I got into reading about Michael's dad, Sonny, right? And I'm like, wow, man. So see Chin, John Sr. and Sonny, they were, the f they were like my three... If I could be anybody when I was a kid, I want to be one of them or a mix of all three. Um, so, you know, and it's so mad because last year I met him um, and I was a bit kind of, don't want to say starstruck, but it was a surreal moment for me. And um, I've still got the picture and and I came home and because there was a documentary about Sonny on, um, it's called American Gangster. It's on YouTube. Have you ever watched it? No. It's actually it's actually quite good. So it's just all about Sonny. He's, he's in a nursing home. He's in a nursing home, man, and he's still got it, right? He's still got it, man. And um, like the, the chat, he's still got the chat. He's sitting in a wheelchair, just do it after like, then how long, do you know what I mean? Um, the, the guy, you can't, you can't say it and bad about him because he done all that time and um, he always held his back. He was a different level. That guy was a different breed. Do you know what I mean? They, they don't think to make them like that anymore. Do you know? didn't he, he, did, he served, didn't he serve almost 50 years or something crazy like that? So, so um, as far as I can, as far as I'm led to believe, Sonny Francis got sentenced to... 50 years in the 50s or the 60s for bank robbery, right? Bank robberies. Now, Sonny's always said they never done it, and Michael says that too, and I, I, I'm not going to say I think he did or he didn't, because obviously it's organised crime, but I, what I do know is, right, see, back then, they were setting up organised crime guys because they didn't have the RICO law back then, did they? So they couldn't charge the top guy. So I don't know if you've heard of Vito Genovese. Yes. So Vito Genovese was supposed to allegedly, he, so right, him and Chin Gigante were sent to prison on drugs charges, right? So Vito Genovese and Chin have always said they never done that, they never done that. And I think that's how the mob brought out that you deal, you die law, was because we're getting fitted up for this crap now. So if you're dealing with it, man, we're just giving you the treatment. And then... Um, I, did, I have read that um, Chin had actually like, launched guys off roofs and all this stuff for things like that. But the funny thing is as well, right, I read the book about Paul Castellano, right, and when two FBI agents went to his front door regarding the Donnie Brasco contract, 
I don't think they would have put a contract out in a Fed, but you never know, right? So they went to his door. This is what they're saying in the book, right? And Paul Castellano said to the, the Feds, I've got one rule. If you've got a case, bring the case. Don't ever fit me up. I've seen it happen and it stinks. I think he was talking about Vito, Jenny Vizi, because he gets set up for that. Because see if, see if you're a criminal, if you're a career criminal, it's what, it's what a cop says or a, or a prison officer says to me. You have to be lucky all the time. We only have to be lucky once. The house always wins, doesn't it? You know what I mean? So they don't, they don't need to fit me up if I'm a career criminal. Some, somewhere along the line, my luck's going to run out. It's the odds. So you don't need to fit me up, do you know? It's just it would be horrendous to go to jail for something you've never done. So I don't know if... Um, I, I, if, if Michael and um, Sonny are saying they never done it, then you know what I mean? Well, you, you, you can ask him, and I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you with Michael in Glasgow when we're up there in April. And for the viewers watching this as well, I'll put the link in the description box for if you want to check out where Michael is touring across the UK. But we best get back to your story, Chris. So we were at the point where you got recalled, gate arrested. Oh, so listen to this, right? So I got recalled, right, to finish the rest of my sentence. And um, like four days before my release, I get took to Glasgow Sheriff Court, right? And I was the only person in the whole appointment who was at Glasgow Sheriff Court that day. And I was in what they call the iron lungs, right? These cells, basement cells, windowless, the steel door with like a hole that size that you can't see out anyway. So I'm there for like nine in the morning. <laughs> And it was like half past six in the evening by the time they told me why I was there. Do you know why I was there? See the, the big brawl that I'd had outside my friend's house when the cop ran up by me, the free, I get charged with free. So basically in England you can get done with ABH and GBH, actual bodily harm, which is like our version of a serious assault. So like an assault where a weapon's being used. I was charged, I had an indictment with three, three of those charges on it, and I'm just like, Christ, man, I was, I was, this was the Thursday, and I was due on the Tuesday, the following Tuesday, I was supposed to get out, so I'm spitting blood, man, went back to Pullman, and then, on the Tuesday, where I was supposed to be released, I got gate arrested, with cops at the gate, bye, <laughs> so, no, was it, it was, or it was prison officers, I can't even remember. They took me to Berlin. I get put on remand in Berlin, right, for what's called in Scotland a seven-day lie-down. So basically you're up at court a week in seven days and then you'll see if you're being remanded for four or five months or you're getting bail. So after the seven days, I got bail and um, I couldn't believe it. I was totally shocked and unprepared. It was Valentine's Day 2002. Um, and I went straight up to my pals and um, started, you know, getting drunk and having a big part. We had a big party, and um, well, I'd actually went with my girlfriend the first night I was out, and then the next night we had this big party. Um, so I don't know if you've seen on my YouTube, there's a there's a video, and it's me in the middle with like 
I bought a butt fast, but there's like emojis on everybody's face. That was that day. That was that night. That was just that was mad that night, man. We were all taking the the disco biscuits and the booze, and I remember looking and seeing my brother. He was he handcuffed himself to a mug, like a a, a drinking cup. Um, trying to walk out the house with a lamp, saying it was his pet, and <laughs> um, that that was that was quite funny. I, I don't know. If, I end up drinking a bottle. Have you ever heard the aftershock? It's like a it's like a kind of aniseed flavored. Don't want to call it a liqueur, but super strength alcohol, man. I remember I'd never heard of this stuff, and it was like thirty quid a bottle or something, and bought a bottle of that, and I was hallucinating, and oh, that was mad. Do you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> it was just back to the grind again, do you know. So what led up to the big one? Basically, um, so when I when I got released again, basically the way I was living was um. I, I didn't have like I was I was staying with friends between friends and family members. Not I didn't have like my own house or and I was like um, going to like I was selling it. Um, I was selling like uh, disco biscuits and um, drinking and just getting into like see street street arguments all the time. Not like you're not picking on somebody I don't know. So like just being just being a total thug. No other way to put it, a total thug, right? And um, there was a couple of times like I get stabbed right through the lip, like a Stanley blade. See, like what the Americans call a box cutter, done that lip. And the inside of my lip was hanging out my mouth. Um, my lip, my my fingers nearly got severed. What that What were the uh, stories? Be- what were the stories behind those uh, injuries, Chris? So um. The, the time with the lip was um it was actually a guy I knew from my area and he just disappeared one day, he just left the area and I hadn't seen him for ages and I was walking back to the house I was staying in and he just appeared from nowhere and he looked out his he looked out his mind on some sort of substance and he walked up to me and I went to shake his hand because I hadn't seen him for ages and he just he just jumped like he was startled and I was like, What the hell are you doing? And he just, and then next thing he's just done that, bang with this big Stanley knife, man, and and I, and I've kind of went to punch him, but then see, as soon as I've done that, he's just whipped out a big, he's whipped out like a hatchet, and just chased me, man, I just ran, and I went up to my pals and his girlfriends, and they took me to hospital to get my lip sewed shut, um, then, while I had been in doing my recall, um, there was this boy, who was from the same area as my girlfriend, right, and these guys, I'm no, I wasn't popular in that area, obviously, right? Um, and what was happening was, guys from that area were writing to him, asking him, hey, what we say, nip me, like nip me, right? But he showed me the letter, and I was like, is that right? I, I'll be seeing him when I get out. So, I ended up, um, I was staying with my girlfriend, right? And we were walking down to the shops to buy, I, well, I was buying it, I don't, she wasn't. And then, um, Who's walked around the corner? These two boys, right? And I knew what one of them was in my class in school, right? But he, see when he walked around the corner, see me he just done this, like he, like he was he was just totally shocked to see me. So I was like, How you doing? Where you been? What you been up to? Blah blah blah. So he's like, um, do you want to get a drink, mate? So I'm like, aye. That was just stupidity because they could have just went on the phone. I need to use the toilet or oh, here, so and so's in here. Do you know what I mean? That was just pure stupid. So 
my girlfriend went away because I started a kind of argument with her, so she would go away, right? And um, remember, I sat and I, I got to like my third bottle of Buckfast, right? So we'd walked back to the shop and see as I drank. Or I, I don't remember leaving this guy's house or walking to the shop. Or I remember the last bit of the alcohol going down my throat. And I was looking at him through the bottle, the empty bottle, and then see as soon as it was finished, I just done that, bang, and just whacked him right between the eyes, right? And he just ran, he just ran away from me. And then all I heard was, what you effing doing, you effing bum? And I've turned around and the guy who I went to school with was just standing like this, look, see it standing right behind me like that, like with this big boy knife. And I was just that out of my mind and that raging, right? Uh, and because I knew him as well, right, because, but that is stupid, I wouldn't advise, say, because somebody's got a knife, if you know that, if you think you can take them, then you should fight them, no, I'm not saying that at all, but that was my thinking then, I used to say, it's not the knife, it's who's holding the knife, do you know what I mean, so I used to be like, if you're a bum, then if you've got a knife, I'm still going to attack you, so I grabbed my, my hand around the blade like this, instead of grabbing them here, and then I grabbed him like that, so see like that, and I just kept headbutting him, and he's 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 just wrestling, trying to get away from me, and I'm just I was I was just totally out of my mind with alcohol and furious, and it just basically set the knife twisting it had severed three tendons, and I kind of straightened those fingers, but um, I went to hospital and got it seen to, but um, see if that was somebody who was like me. That knife, I wouldn't have even got a chance to turn around. That would have been right in my heart from behind. Or I would have been slow, dead. Slow down a minute, Chris. Are you saying you grabbed the knife and yeah. he twisted it around? So I've got it wrapped and I've got it clamped in my hand. But he's trying to, so see, like like that, like like holding it like that. And he's he's got the handle and he's rest, trying to wrestle it out of my fingers and while... In the struggle, it's just sawn through my, my, my tendons and my fingers, but I was so drunk, I couldn't feel it. And I was headbutting him, I was holding him like here, I was holding him like here, and just kept going bang, bang. He kept shouting somebody's name, say it was David or Sean, or kept going, Sean, Sean, don't know who he was shouting on, still don't know. And then what took both of us have fell to the ground, and then I've just looked at my hand, and I've just done that shit, and I've just ran... I, it just happened across that road and I just ran back, buzzed my auntie and I said, phone me an ambulance, I need to go to hospital because, <laughs> and I showed her my hand and I went and had to get an operation on my hand. Chris, we're at 90 minutes, we're only halfway through your talking points, I'm going to have to help Jen with the baby here soon. So what I'm thinking is, we'll, we'll, we'll do a part, this is a part one and then we can do a part two with the rest. And for the viewers watching this, Chris's YouTube channel link is in the description box below this video. You can see he is a master storyteller. He's had me gripped on the edge of the seat for the past two and a half hours. I'm sure many of you feel the same. If you want to check out his stuff, go and support him and subscribe at his channel. If you want to come and meet us in the Glasgow Michael Francis gig in April next year, that link is down there as well. So a huge thank you, Chris, for spending so much time with us this evening. And I look forward to continuing these stories with you in a, in a, a part two. This is probably up, it's probably got another two plus hours in you, I imagine. <laughs> 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 All right, I'll, I'll end it.
If you're looking for a gift, my new book, Sit Downs with Gangsters, is available worldwide on Amazon. We've interviewed over a thousand people now, and we selected 10 of the hardest-hitting stories to go in this book. Each chapter features the story of one of our podcast guests. Those stories are Shane Taylor, Knife Maniac's Redemption, John Elite, Mafia Hitman for the Gambino Crime Family, Joey Barnett, 35 years in UK prison, Ian Blink McDonald, £6 million bank robber, Chet Sandu, Asian smuggler in Spanish Supermax, John Lawson, the hit team commander, David Macmillan, international smuggler's Thai death row prison escape, John Abbott, San Quentin prison shootout and escape, Michael Francis, Colombo crime family capo portrayed in Goodfellas. And Wildman, English enforcer in Arizona prison. Link in description box on YouTube, available worldwide on Amazon. Also, my next book, Untouchable Jimmy Savile, is getting published in December 2023. So check that out as well. It will be available worldwide on Amazon. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.